Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. And if that's Jay in that window, then in that window is Shanna, who I can't believe somebody really is going out to smoke pot that many times a day. They must be doing a murder. It's sinister. <laughs> uh, before we begin, I do have one thing I, I haven't touched on errors and sins of omission in quite some time. Uh, not really much of a thing, but uh, something that I mentioned at the beginning, like in part one last week, and then forgot about in part three. Uh, I we, We'd brought up The Who and My Generation. Right. And Ro Roger Daltrey was in one of the movies last week, and I forgot to mention it. He was uh, the cheating husband whose uh, giant techno mansion was being attacked by the hacker in .com for murder. Okay. <laughs> Semi-pertinent in that it is also a Hitchcock pastiche kind of film. I'm sort of <laughs> doing a lot of Hitchcock adjacent stuff recently, but on kind of a De Palma kick as well. <laughs> but this week we're doing some real definitive hitch, like maybe arguably the definitive Hitchcock film, uh, 1954's Rear Window. So I had never seen this before, and my only experience with this movie, and I suspect the, yeah, <laughs> the legendary uh, pool episode. Yeah, uh, I I love this movie so much. This is you know top five of all time, maybe uh, probably at least top ten. It's so good. I liked it. I think I liked Rope better, but uh, it's. I mean, I still loved it. It's it, it's really great. I love the uh, the set that they've built for the apartment complex. The set's fucking incredible. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't even put Rope in. Uh, I think Rope is my least favorite of the bunch we covered, but oh wow, yeah, it's it's all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rope for me is the definitive. Seven out of ten. Uh, it's it's ambitious and it has a lot of things about it that are really interesting, but it doesn't really stick the landing. It's got a lot of uh, weird slack parts, and it's just not. Uh, it, it it's formalism to an extent that it, it uh, doesn't fully work for the experience. That doesn't. Uh, it, it's it's too uh, technique based. Uh, where th this one is just it's there's so much depth to everything that's going on. There's so many layers to to everything that's happening, all of the visuals. That's true. Yeah, there there's always a lot like we're always seeing something and also hearing something. So we have to at the very least, we have to usually be paying attention to two things at a time that might be directly connected or it might be like he's talking about one thing while we're watching something completely different. It took well, a bit for me to get used to it, actually. Yeah, I, I would not say that they're ever completely different. Usually they're meant to comment on each other. You, anytime you, things are framed together, there's a deliberate Im, del, deliberate intent with the framing to sort of align characters and to sort of show the thinking of our main characters by uh, showing what they're looking at in the rest of the movie. And they're sort of like this surrogate audience in this one apartment that's the movie screen. And then we're looking out on the cast, which is like this gigantic Broadway set. Uh, yeah, that's that's what that made me think of, actually. 
because uh, we are the camera never enters any of the other apartments. Uh, we never see them from the inside. No, we we get some close-ups, but only very very late in the film. It's uh, sort of intentionally distanced. We have all of this stuff, and we have them as the audience. Like we have Jimmy Stewart, uh, who is a real literal audience surrogate and he's like the perfect everyman guy but he's not really the hero which is so interesting it's he is a voyeur and we're criticizing his voyeurism but we're also like hey isn't the audience a bunch of voyeurs too aren't we <laughs> complicit in this voyeurism isn't this what we're all doing mm. <laughs> yeah there, oh, there is a lot to say about uh also he's going he's also seems to be kind of maybe going a little bit crazy because he's been inside for six weeks, which uh, we could all relate to, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. He's going a little bit stir crazy. Uh, the the true crime element, the, the voyeurism and true crime thing is something that has sort of appeared in all of the Hitchcocks we've watched up to this point. It's really big in Shadow of a Doubt. Mm hmm. Uh, just uh, the the way everybody sort of looks at true crime and uh, internalizes it and gossips about it. And it's uh, gauche. It's considered to be gauche. But, you know, most people are doing it. And, you know, even though there is, you know, it's not uh, supposed to be cool. It's, it's the you know, the why true crime now argument. And it's like, well, it's <laughs> always been true crime. The, the people are obsessed with it. And it's always been crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But this is also a movie about marriage, uh, relationships, and sexuality. Uh, very much about it. And it's, it's sort of uh, presenting different arguments about marriage and uh, how relationships work and how we treat each other. Well, because like every single character, or we have all of these different windows. And they're all different reflections of uh, stages of either people who are totally single, but most of them are couples. And it's yeah. it's it's uh, contrasting all of these couples and sort of showing potential futures for Jimmy Stewart, either as a solo person or with uh, the absolutely fucking radiant Grace Kelly in this movie. Holy crap. I couldn't believe she was real. Like when she first showed up, I genuinely thought it was a dream sequence because I was like, yeah, there's no way that this guy landed this girl. Well, the whole movie has a real dreaminess to it, but especially her. Yeah, she feels like a Disney princess. Of course, Grace Kelly is a literal princess. Oh, yeah. You know, she she uh, became the princess of Monaco and retired from film. <laughs> good for her. Good for yeah, her. Yeah, really good for her. And you can see why. She's uh, kind of supernaturally elegant in this movie. Mm -hmm. So the opening credits are literally the raising of curtains but you know you you would usually have the curtains raising in a theater uh during uh the the opening credit sequence you know classically uh, that's when they'd start to raise is when the credits start playing yeah but here it's uh it's the curtains of his window his shades yeah his, his yeah. window shades in his apartment so Back then, I don't know if it would have been both. You know, you may have been seeing his curtains rising with, like, the classic curtains rising. Probably. Yeah. And it's, I, I like it. It's, we, we're introduced to our intermediate movie screen. The windows of the apartment are like, okay, we have, we're, we're looking through the movie screen at this second screen that he's looking into that have all of these different little shows and all of these other little screens that he can channel surf to. 
Yeah, it's like it, it really does feel that each one of these stories has like each one of these windows rather has a story arc, like with a beginning, a middle and an end. And sometimes they connect with each other and sometimes they go off on their own thing. But it's it's just really cool. If you're paying attention, there's multiple stories happening. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff going on everywhere. And it's a heat wave. You really feel the heat, uh, just I, especially just even the color of the credits, the, these like yellow credits with a red drop shadow on them. They just drip of this summer haze. They were hard to look at. They look blurry. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it feels like it's like, oh, uh, it's like New York summer and jazzy New York, uh, especially that opening uh, jazz bit. And the set is so fucking incredible, like just massive, unbelievable. It's this whole little city. Yeah, it's about like. It's really only about eight or nine different buildings, but man, it looks like it's this huge complex and it feels like it's this whole thing. But it also feels like a, it feels like it should be a tiny, close knit community, but they're all kind of mostly off doing their own thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a busy sort of uptown New York community. I think it's supposed to be in Manhattan, but I, I believe it was originally Greenwich Village or something. Maybe it is Greenwich Village, uh, but uh, it, it's like looking on into a courtyard and it's just all of the busy lives going around uh, the the courtyard. But first, before we see any of them, we see first a pan of the camera across the whole place totally empty just to sort of let us see the set. And then we're introduced to the cast. It's like the set is the first member of the cast. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so the, the, the cast... Uh, we we go from uh, right to left, and we start with the composer up in the top right corner. Uh, do, do you know who this guy is? Um, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, this is where we – not right here, but in this house is where we find the Alfred Hitchcock cameo, the only one I've spotted in real time. Yeah, this one is very clear, and it's sort of purposeful, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. The composer is Ross Bagdasarian. Now – you might not know his name, but you definitely know his music and his influence because he's the creator of Alvin and the Chipmunks. No kidding. Yeah. So he's he's the guy who's playing the composer, who's playing the haunting Franz Waxman uh, Lisa theme, <laughs> which we only learn at the very end is actually called Lisa. Mm-hmm. Which is fun because it is her theme song. She's very aligned with him. But at the, at the beginning, he has writer's block, and it's him just kind of trying to uh, write this tune through the whole movie. And it, we, we see it being written, and finally, in the very final scene, he's playing the pressed record of it. Mm-hmm. So that's his story going on in the background. And there's the fire escape couple. who these, are oh. <laughs> They're cute. I love these guys. They're sleeping out in the fire escape. Yeah, they've moved their mattress out on the fire escape because it's so fucking hot out. So they're just yes. like, it's too hot to be in the apartment, so they're outside. Uh, next, we've got Mrs. Torso, or Miss Torso, arguably. I think she is Mrs., but they call her Miss uh, until the end. She's yeah. a ballet dancer. Uh, she she has a Doris Wishman energy, always uh, dancing in her lingerie while doing her chores. 
Yes, that's Very her whole thing. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it pulls people's attention at different times. The the movie specifically pulls attention to it to sort of show the frames of mind of certain male characters. <laughs> and then down to the alleyway, we see there's an alleyway where we see just a bustling street and a bar across the way. And all of yeah. this is just one continuous pan, by the way. We see we're introduced to all of these characters, all in one long, long pan. Yeah, I like it. It's like we get this teeny tiny glimpse of this whole outside world outside of this apartment that we're never really going to see very much of. Yeah. And inside the apartment, we meet our main character, L.B. Jeffries, uh, introduced to his cast. It says, here lie the broken bones of L.B. Jeffries. Oh, my gosh. This is such a great visual introduction because we see his injury and then we see how he was injured. <laughs> yeah, we see a bunch of the photographs he's taken. He's like a like a war photographer or an action photographer. I'd say an action photographer for the most part. He works for some sort of news magazine and we see... Yeah, there, there's a smashed camera, <laughs> and then it pans up, and there's the camera that's that, or the the photo that he took that resulted in the camera being smashed, as well as him. It's an early car racing photo, and just a stock car flying directly towards him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, cool. This dude uh, is a, a an action photographer. We see how he got injured, and we see that he also is a fashion photographer. He's got lots of uh, fashion portraits and. Uh, magazines and stuff that he shoots. So I was always wondering about that, but yeah, I guess that must be how he met uh, Grace Kelly's character. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, how would these two have hooked up? Right. It, it, they, they do seem a little incongruous, but he is a great photographer and uh, he does great fashion photography too. Like we, we get an impression that that's what she would like him to focus on, but mm -hmm. he kind of, He's he's still in his little boy mentality. He wants to go play with trucks and be a GI Joe. <laughs> so uh, his his editor phones up Gunnison, and we only hear him over the phone. I think in this movie, he's he calls up a couple times, but he's phoning to congratulate him on getting that cast removed. Oh no! No, you got the <laughs> right day, but the wrong week. Yeah, he's a week early, so we're we're establishing a timeline. Next week, he's supposed to get the cast off, and he's had it on a long time, and he is at his wit's end. <laughs> he has not left this apartment, and he didn't have internet. And we get, really quickly, these sort of layers and layers of voyeurism, where he's talking to the editor, and he's not paying a lot of attention because he's watching there's these nude sunbathers up on one of the top corner roofs in sort of the the back right mm -hmm. we don't really ever see other than this we see them taking off uh, their uh the, their bikini tops and stuff and lying down and then a helicopter arrives to spy on them <laughs> and it's like it's a weird special effect because it's like composited in but <laughs> there's like a helicopter spying on these ladies while he's looking at them so he's watching the helicopter spying and then he starts watching miss torso doing her thing of course 
And at this point, I'm just watching everything and realizing that I, watching this movie, have not heard a word that the editor has said. Yeah, because you're you you are being introduced to his voluntary attention. You're you're living in LB Jeffries. Uh, mind and kind of is like well uh, if you're stuck here in a wheelchair looking at the movie screen yeah you're probably going to be looking at the nude sunbathers yeah you're probably going to be uh, your eyes are going to be drawn to miss torso and your editor calling to like blather about a job that you literally can't take let me tell you all about this job just so that you can feel really bad about not being able to do it because he does say like oh yeah well oh sign me up <laughs> it's like you can't then you you literally you... can't. It's like, I'll, I'll shoot it from the back of a jeep or a water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can't do that. Uh, so there, he, he also looks, there's the, there's the lady sculptor, the sculptress who lives downstairs from Miss Torso. And we see her being annoyed by uh, <laughs> the Miss Torso's dancing. She's constantly <laughs> dancing right above her head. And we see her oh, yeah. and getting annoyed. Yeah, yeah, all the, well, I'd, I'd be annoyed, too, if she was my upstairs neighbor. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. No, it'd be really annoying. I, I completely get it. Uh, and he says, oh, if I don't get out of here soon, I might think about doing something drastic. And when he says that, he's seeing Thorwald coming home to his wife. Yeah, at this point, he's just the salesman, but he is the... The subject of our uh, did he, didn't he mystery. Yeah, so this is Raymond Burr, probably most famous for playing uh, Perry Mason. Also, he's in Godzilla, the American cut. Oh. Yeah, he's just added in. He's he's the <laughs> reporter. Uh, okay. In this, he's modeled after and based on David O. Selznick, famous uh, Hollywood movie producer of the 40s who produced a few of the really big early Hitchcock movies in Hollywood. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, he's he's sort of modeled on him. He's playing a version of David, o, David Oselznik. It's kind of just a dig, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that Jeffries is talking about doing something drastic, about being trapped in this home, and we see that personified with Thorwald arriving home to his wife, and it's just you see the bickering. You see that the household is not comfortable. Yeah. The whole time I was watching this movie, mostly because of The Simpsons, I was convinced, like 100 percent convinced that he was actually innocent and that there was a logical explanation for everything that he did. And yeah. I, I, like it's pretty clear in a few spaces that you should be on their side it, it's just like a couple spots where it should reverse yeah uh, and i and i know where it should have reversed there's definitely a couple but i was like yeah but maybe he's just a dog killer and not a person murderer maybe hmm. he just likes his garden too much but i don't know i just it was even at the end i was like oh my god wait he was the killer. I just, it couldn't click into my brain. And especially because the cop was adding so many uh, logical explanations for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you were too swayed by Doyle. I don't know. I think so. 
So uh, his editor is still droning on, and he's scolding him about continuing to be a bachelor. He's like, why, don't, why the hell don't you get married? You've got that lady. You know this is uh, uh, a much better situation for you. You don't need to be going around town. You, you can get lots of other assignments. Yeah, but no, he, he wants to do the traveling. He wants to do all that shit. Well, he he's watching the Thorwalds, and he's projecting his future onto them. He's narrating what they're doing to his editor. And he's like, oh, I can just see me rushing home to a hot apartment and to a nagging wife. And he, he's narrating all of the stuff that he's seeing Thorwald doing. And like, it's he's picturing his future as them. Yeah, I like Thor or the editor's um, comment. It's like, now, now, wives don't nag anymore. They, oh, what does he say? Like, they advise or something. Yeah, I, I think they, they advise, they have discussions. And he's like, well, in they my discuss, neighborhood, yeah. they still nag. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that's important for this is that Thorwald's wife is basically a body double for Grace Kelly. She's wearing the same nightgown. I didn't notice that. It's the exact same one. Like, literally, they're wearing the same nightgown. And she oh, has shit. a nightgown later in the movie, and she's got the same sort of similar haircut. She's got the blonde hair. You know, she's not quite exactly the same, but, you know, pointedly, she is dressed and sort of looks from a distance to be like Lisa. Okay, well, that... Hmm. And all right, so yeah, does Miss Torso. You know, they're, they're all variations. We get a bit of Miss Lonely Hearts as well. Miss Lonely Hearts at one point uh, has a, a very similar outfit to Lisa and the exact same uh, really chunky bracelet. Mm -hmm. So they're they're all meant to reflect Lisa and Jeff. Uh, so he's itching furiously at the cast after the call. We we get that as sort of a comic button to a lot of different scenes where it's just him just itching at that goddamn cast. He's got just a little back scratcher that he's trying to get down it. Yeah, he like tries to shove it down. It, it seriously though, it's gotta suck. I've I've never had to be in a cast before, but I imagine it's just the worst. I've had a couple casts. I broke all my fingers one time back in uh, between grade eight and nine, I think it was. I mean, it was grade nine and ten. I can't remember now. In summer in between, and uh, yeah, I had a cast for like a good six months. Oh my Sucked. god! Oh man! <laughs> Real bullshit. Oh, so so I can relate to really wanting a scratch down there. Oh, man. So he watches Thorwald doing some gardening. It's the only thing that Thorwald does outside of the apartment. He's got these this big row of rose bushes. Yep. And he uh, he does not like criticism of his gardening abilities or skills or techniques. Well, I think it's a combination of things because there's a reason he's digging the hole. Mm hmm. Because he's he's digging under the, the one of the, the the far end one and the sculptress shows up and she like climbs up and she's peeking over the fence and like you're digging too deep there. There's no reason for it. And he's like, oh, why don't you mind your why don't you shut up? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're giving too much water and digging too deep. But yeah, the the he this is the spot where he buries something significant later on. So he's preparing and he mm -hmm. doesn't and he, he's really bad about not drawing attention to things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he, he's still like being an asshole. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of seems to be his natural state. 
So the next character to arrive is Stella, played by the great Thelma Ritter. I love her. She's like Stella's so great. <laughs> she she keeps saying like she's not going to get into all of this voyeurism, but then she's like, oh, but what if he did murder her? Well, she starts to get convinced because there's a lot of convincing circumstantial evidence. But when she first shows up, her first thing, like she announces herself while he's just watching all of the neighbor stuff, like he's watching the the argument between Thorwald and the sculptress. And it's like New York State sentence for peeping Tom is six months in the workhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and she just every time he's looking out the window and she shows up, she's like, you know, a few stats about peeping Tom's and the, the sort of a, a way you can get arrested and so forth. It's arguably not peeping. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't. Is it? I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's sort of weird to just spend the day watching your neighbors do stuff. It is kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it is, especially especially when he makes a point of hiding his face in the shadows when he does it. But Stella, it, 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 her her next thing is sort of it's basically the touch grass of 1954. She's like, we've become a race of peeping Toms. What people ought to do is get outside their own house and look in for a change. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jeffrey's like, Reader's Digest, April 1939. <laughs> well, I only quote from the best. Uh, and her thing, like, she is a little bizarre because she's also saying how she predicted the stock market crash. Yeah. <laughs> She was because nursing the CEO of G- of General Motors at the time. He looked real worried, and it's and if you and if you're the CEO of General Motors and you look worried, something's bad's about to happen. Yeah, well, what's the CEO of General Motors got to be worried about? So, yeah, I knew about it, and she <laughs> was like, "By the way, why don't you marry that Lisa? What the hell's wrong with you?" And she's right; she does know best. Oh yeah, yeah, and. He's like, oh, well, she's just too perfect for me. That's literally what he says. She's too perfect. And I'm just not ready for marriage. (laughs) It's like at first at this point, I'm like, oh, you're just selling yourself short. I'm sure you and her be great together. And, And then when we see her, of course, I'm like, oh, no, she is actually too perfect for you. And you're a fool to bet. To drag your feet on this. She's like, uh, yeah, like I said, just supernaturally beautiful. It's it's impossible. And he's like, she's too perfect. She's everything but what I want. You know, oh, she, you fuck her. <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> she, she's perfect, but he wants someone who's action girl. He doesn't know that she can also be that. Oh, completely effortlessly, no less. Although... There's also the question of everything but what I want. Maybe it's not the perfect woman he's looking for, because that's what Stella immediately implies. Right. And uh, and they're constantly implying it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I could maybe see that with this character. That would explain a lot. There there's definitely something there because, you know, it's it's being pushed back and forth the whole time. And just the idea of the the voyeurism and the abnormal sexuality, uh, that that's something that. Body Double, which is sort of a prism of this and Rear Window and everything Hitchcock put in, like, 1984, uh, digs much deeper into that stuff. But Stella, yeah, so everything but what I want. It's like, oh, well, is 
is what you want something you can discuss. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you implying? What are you implying? And it, it's just like he he wants someone who doesn't just think of life as a new dress or a lobster dinner or the latest scandal. So yeah, but can, also, dude, shut up. Oh yeah, no, it's stupid, but. It, it it is kind of like these are the things that he's that are, are kind of bugging him that it's you know new dresses and lobster and all of that like those are the things that he specifically is bothered by when Lisa shows up uh, all three of those things <laughs> yeah. so uh, I, I I he he is sort of recognizing exactly who she is and he doesn't really know if that's where he wants to be. Yeah. He's wrong, of course, but he, what yeah. he wants is someone who can go anywhere, do anything, and love it, which he will learn he she she's also totally capable of. It sounds like the two of them really just need to sit down and discuss what their future's going to be and not make decisions for one another. True, and it's also just he's visually shown to be pig-headed and really not thinking about like he he's sort of treating her as like oh well she's a delicate lady and you know that that you know ladies can't do this sort of stuff I, I, i'm a big man but while that's happening stella who's much smaller than him is literally just deadlifting him from the <laughs> chair and just like throwing him around like nothing he's bitching about how women aren't all that tough it's like come on dude <laughs> Hitchcock oh. is undermining everything Jeff says as he's doing it, you know? <laughs> it's, 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 it's really funny. He's always like, oh, a, a man has to be big and tough, and he never does anything remotely tough in this movie. Stella does everything, and then later uh, Lisa does everything. Yeah. 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 And, like, yeah, Lisa will basically spend the whole movie proving him wrong. And that she is perfect in every way. Because she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Stella's like, yeah, sure. Uh, get out of my life, you perfectly wonderful woman. You're too good for me. I can see it now. <laughs> You're going to break up with her for this? That she's too good? <laughs> well, it sounds like that's basically what he ends up saying to her later. Essentially. And she's like... Stella's, come on, modern marriage, the, the way everything has to be some sort of contest and just uh, all of uh, your overthinking is so pointless. And <laughs> Jeff literally goes like, go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. <laughs> like he, he literally does default yep. to that. <laughs> and I mean, it is in this case her job and she does, which is like, fine, fine, whatever. Yeah, but wow. Yeah, but wow. <laughs> I mean, just that it's all the way back there in the fifties. It's like, yeah, no, we're we're making this point right here. Uh, he's he's got to learn some things. This man. He totally does. So when she goes to the kitchen, he basically goes back to his shows. Uh, he, he turns back with a grin on his face, both for the zinger that he told her to go make a sandwich, and you know, he gets to go back to all all his programs. So uh, the the Thorwald and Sculptor shows are both ending because uh, the Sculptor's fallen asleep in her chair and Thorwald's going inside. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, what else is on? 
Miss Tarso's just combing her hair. It's not very interesting. I was like, oh, hey, there's there's a new show starting. There's newlyweds moving in on the left side. Oh, yeah. So the, there's sort them. of there, there's sort of an interesting running gag in this movie. <laughs> and again, another reflection of it's like, well, there's sort of a, this liminal space. We we very rarely see them. And when we do kind of vaguely see them, it does seem like the husband is a little put upon after this first part. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, they they show up. They're they're moving into the apartment. They do a cute thing where, you know, they they buy the apartment and the guy leaves and they go back outside and he carries her over the threshold. And I thought that Sweet. was adorable. Yeah, it's cute. And and we cut to Jeffrey seeing or uh, Jeff seeing it and uh, smiling. He's like, oh, that's cute. And then we see the wife see him peeping and get uncomfortable and they close the blinds. <laughs> yeah, the first we... time he'll get caught peeping, but not the last. No, he, he gets caught at, at very a dramatic critical moment <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. later on. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like that very quickly. It's like, oh, he just got caught peeping and we as the audience kind of got peeping. And <laughs> it's like, oh, jeez. Yeah. They, they draw the blinds. I'm like, okay, I guess we won't see any more of them for a bit. Yeah, actually, we see so little of them that I did totally forget they were there. And they're all, they're like, I think they're also like kind of at an odd angle from the apartment, too. So we wouldn't get to see much of them anyway. Well, because when we're seeing anyone sort of, because uh, Jeff is usually on that side and he's in the chair. So we don't really get much of an angle out that way. Whereas we'll see Lisa on the right side with the composer. So we see the right side fairly often, but not the left. Right. But yeah, he, they, they draw the blinds and Stella appears with the sandwich and says, window shopper and steps into the room again. <laughs> Good line. Yeah. So we get another full pan over the whole courtyard again at sunset, dusk, and it looks totally beautiful. And it goes all the way around to Jeffrey's dozing in the chair. And this is the introduction of Grace Kelly into the movie. And it's very dreamy because he's asleep and in sort of a dreamy slow-mo. First, her shadow falls over him and then she leans in to frame, like out of focus, into focus to kiss him. It's this is what I mean when I said I when I said that I thought this was a dream sequence and he was imagining her. She yeah. doesn't seem real. Yeah, no, it, it feels totally supernatural. It's beautiful and dreamy and weird. And he wakes up and is like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and then she glides through the apartment. Uh, she's uh, she she gives her full name, uh, Lisa. She. Uh, each night, so she goes to the first lamp. She turns the first lamp on from top to bottom or reading from the top. Lisa, click, goes, uh, she walks across to another one. Carol, click, and then to another one, Fremont. She's walking the catwalk. She's a model. Right. Yeah. And oh, man, just. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. It's totally unreal. And she's got this genuinely stunning dress this new dress that she's just gotten from paris it was eleven hundred dollars in 1954 yeah so you know about three million yeah it's extremely expensive it's like oh yeah nobody sell a dozen of these a day because she's a, a 
big wheel in the fashion business. She's actually a very important business person, way, way more important than him. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's too perfect. She's. We Although, see it, yeah, like yeah. immediately, like oh yeah, shit. She's like wealthy. She's got like the world under her thumb, but she wants him for whatever reason. But of course, <laughs> yeah, this dress, by the way, the, all of her dresses, because every time she comes back, she has a different dress, and they're all kind of amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are all designed by uh, probably the most famous uh, costume designer in Hollywood, Edith Head. Oh, um, oh no, I'm thinking somebody else. Never mind. She's the inspiration for Edna Mode in fucking The Incredibles, basically. Oh, okay, so that is who I, I was thinking of. I believe that that's Edith Head. So yeah, you know, the, the most famous costume designer, and just the, they are incredible. The, this one, the the huge puffy white one with sort of the <laughs> the black twigs kind of design. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's the new dress. He's like the, one of the things that he doesn't like. The one of the things he doesn't want to think of life just as. Yeah. Yeah, oh, dresses, of course. And she's like, well, what do you think about dinner at 21? And he's like, well, that would be wonderful, but I can't get there, obviously. And he's like, well, I've brought 21. And she's got, like, a chef, and she's got a whole lobster dinner. He's like, oh, that's exactly what he said earlier. New yeah, dress yeah. and lobster dinner. Hired, like, a whole room service guy to come to the apartment. Yeah. And then she's going over her day. She's an obviously extremely busy person. She is a VIP in the fashion industry. I kind of get why he thinks that she wouldn't want to get down in the mud with him to take pictures. Oh, yeah, I I think that's fair. But it's also like, why do you need to be globetrotting and taking pictures in war zones when you have this fashion business that you have you know, one of the people at the top as an in, you're already talented and capable and known for it. It's, it's just an industry you could graduate to. You don't need to do that other shit. But dresses are girly and mud <laughs> yeah. is masculine. Yeah, it's it's totally a, well, what's masculine and what's feminine? It's, it's sort of a, a challenge to masculinity and femininity arguments. This whole movie is just sort of like, well, isn't that all bullshit? Isn't that totally constructed? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> she's yeah she she was meeting with Harper's Bazaar the the magazine she had to meet with all of these important designers and Jeff is just rudely uninterested in it. Yeah, he's being a he he's a dick to her honestly he, until especially about two thirds of the movie he's just a jerk. He's a total jerk, and there are like a few moments where she uh, is very hurt and just sort of puts it away and is like, no, no, I, I can deal with this. I can, you know, it's just like I'm going to soldier forward because I'm tougher than him. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. And and she's like, I I don't know why you don't just open a photography studio. It's like, well, it's pretty hard to run a photography studio for an act of war zone or Pakistan. <laughs> what i'm saying don't do the war thing yeah it's like yeah maybe just don't do that stuff is what i'm saying you could you you do this fashion stuff like she looks there's this whole row of the fashion magazines that he's shot it's like Mm -hmm. you could just do more of this that you you absolutely can sustain yourself doing that you could make more money doing that probably 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 but she's but she's not going to press him she's also very clever in the way she does everything. So she just sits down on his lap and the camera pans from torso 
in the background, which is what he's looking at, over to the newlyweds window. It's it's one of the few times because she's sitting in his lap. So we have her there in like sort of down in the window. So it's showing them. But it's just the blinds drawn, of course. Uh, oh, the implication. The implication, because they have a little gag about that there. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, isn't it time you came home? So it's, you know, she. it's basically her sort of proposing him to propose her marriage. It's like, come on, isn't it time that uh, we maybe sealed this deal? Well, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, like... Come with, on, with, are, are, are like we, we should become me? these people here in the background. Yeah, yeah god damn, he's she's, dumb for she's not totally doing right. <laughs> god damn, if you won't, Jimmy Stewart, I will. Well, and, and the damnedest thing is, like, she has an absolutely clear and viable plan for everything. Like, step by step, she's thought all of it through and is like, this will work, this will work, we can do this. And it, the thing is, he just doesn't want to stop playing G.I. Joe, so he just says, well, let's just stop talking nonsense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have any sort of uh, rebuttal for any of it. It's like all perfectly vile. It's like, well, but I don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and she's hurt, so she gets up to prepare dinner. And he's, you know, he returns to his shows. <laughs> <laughs> we see Mrs. Thorwald, who's alone right now. And we're introduced oh. to another pretty important character, Miss Lonely Hearts, who's so tragic. Oh. I love her. I feel so bad for her. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This this part was hard to watch. This is probably the toughest part uh, for Miss Lonely Hearts. Where this is her her pretend date. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> yeah, because the way it's shot, um, it looks like she's just greeting a date who's off screen until you realize that. Like it's it's a little while it's a little ways in before you realize there's nobody there, right? Because so, first she lights a couple candles, she pours some wine, and then she goes to the door, and it looks like she's talking to someone, but she comes in, and then she's just pretending to have a date, and it's sad. And she, yeah. uh, there, there's a song we we hear whenever her 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 scenes are kind of like a little silent film because she never speaks until the very last scene of the film. And they're all scored to music and they're all sort of her doing pantomime. So the the first one, her phonograph is playing a song of romantic yearning. It's like someday, let me show you uh, about all this stuff. And uh, Jeffrey's toasts to her when she's doing the toast to the, the boyfriend and drinks. And then she puts her head down and cries on the table. Uh-huh. And then, Lisa, during all of this time, by the way, has been setting a similar dinner table with wine and candles right there to have a date that only she's on. Just saying. Yep, yeah. <laughs> she's pretty much just been talking to herself the whole time. And we've, yeah, we, we've literally been watching Miss Lonely Hearts uh, play out right here in front of him. And he has sympathy for her because he's watching her through the movie screen, but he doesn't have sympathy for Lisa because she's right here in front of him and he doesn't really get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, right. She, she sort of walks in at the end of this and she's looking very concerned at lonely hearts. And 
notably, she's always looking at Lonely Hearts. She, that's sort of the first place her eyes go every time she comes into the apartment, as well as uh, the composer, the music she's always talking about. Where, of course, anytime any of the men come in, they're first looking at Miss Torso. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so she appears, and you know they're they're both looking at Lonely Hearts, and she's like, "Well, at least that's something you'll never have to worry about." She's like, whoa, so you can see my apartment all the way from here then. (laughs) Oh, yeah, your apartment is, I'm sure, is just like that one. Right. He points over and is like, oh, yeah, no, I think it it just completely whooshes right over his head. It's like, oh, we have an apartment just like yours, I think. And he points to Mrs. Torso's place. Yeah, you probably have all these guys coming in and all this stuff and all that. (laughs) Fucking clueless. Totally clueless, although it's sort of also a reflection of her because she's got three suitors over and she's not interested in any of them. (laughs) But LB, he's liking it, likening her to like a queen bee and her drones. But Lisa has a more nuanced understanding of it. It's like it seems more like she's doing the, the toughest thing a single girl ever has to do. She's juggling wolves. Yeah, yeah, he has another clue that. Jeffrey, don't get it. He's not understanding what he's seeing. He doesn't really have the the right sort of empathy for his viewing. So she picks one guy who's out on the terrace and she kisses him and uh, just sort of like uh, lays claim to one to sort of get the other two to back off, basically. And he's like, oh, well, it looks like she picked the most prosperous one. She definitely knows what she's doing. And uh, Lisa is like, she doesn't love him or any of them. Yeah. He's like, well, how can you tell that from all the way over here? It's like, well, you said it resembled my apartment, didn't you? <laughs> like, oh, fucking sucker punch. Zing. Uh, and then he looks again at the closed blinds over on stage left. Like, hmm, okay, so we're 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 seeing if it's enough of single life. Let's look at all of the married couples. And like, okay. And then Thorwald is there. He's bringing a wife to or bringing dinner to his wife in bed because she's bedridden, very ill. Yeah. And she is just not into it. <laughs> she's she's not too jazzed about any of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they don't they kind of remind me of like uh at this point anyway like Alan Peg Bundy, kind of. Yeah, because we we're actually like their spousal arguments are loud enough that we actually hear full sentences across the courtyard. <laughs> oh yeah, that's another thing. We only we can only hear what's going on if they're saying it loud enough. When we have to be really listening, they yeah. do record audio for all of it, but it's really quiet. What right. when it's uh, except for here. Which is cool. It it uh, sort of reinforces the way that they are from a distance. So one of the things we can hear, one of the first things we hear is, well, I hope they're cooked this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've seen him doing his flower gardening. We know that's his interest. And he's gotten some flowers on the tray as sort of like, you know, uh, to to brighten it up. And she tosses them off the tray dismissively, kind of angrily. Yep. <laughs> So the thing is, what Jeffries doesn't realize is he's her. He's looking at this husband and wife arrangement and, uh, you know, uh, looking at this as 
his sort of view of marriage and the bickering and everything and how he doesn't want that. But what he's what's not cluing in with him is that he's the wife in this situation, not oh Thorwald. Oh, my God. He's literally doing that. all of this shit right now, too. <laughs> yeah, he, he's basically like saying, I don't want lobster from a fucking room service guy because DoorDash didn't even exist in the 1950s. He had to hire a special guy for that. I don't want it. Yeah, and he's just being rude. Like, it, it, it's really fun that the the Miss Miss Lonely Hearts one is a little bit more straightforward that it, we're, we're seeing Lisa doing that and him it going over his head. But in this other one, he is looking at, at that and projecting it, but he doesn't realize which side of it he's on. <laughs> yeah, he thinks that marriage means that Lisa's going to turn into that. Right. But it's it's him doing it right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. I, I never clicked in on that. So one of the things that starts happening, this is where the, the Thorwald story really starts to kick into gear because he's talking on the phone, probably to his mistress, because we see her come and like tiptoe up to the door to listen in on the conversation, which, of course, we can't hear any of. And then they get into a fight, which we also can't hear any of. <laughs> yeah. We just see them arguing because uh, music starts playing. We we hear the the composer start playing up in the right corner. With his uh, like grand piano in the tiny apartment. Um... Cool apartment, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's a studio apartment for an artist, <laughs> not for any <laughs> other purpose. This is where we have Hitchcock's cameo. He's there winding the clock oh. in uh, in in uh, the the composer's apartment. And uh, yeah, because this is where the Thorwald story begins, really. Okay. Yeah. So it's like okay, setting up the clock, and also notably, it's aligning him with the composer who's aligned with Lisa. We see Lisa, and we see. Over her shoulder, we've got Hitch and the composer. They're all together. Okay. <laughs> He's on her side. So, <laughs> all right. Just just to be clear to all the people who would otherwise think, oh, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's character is the good guy here, and we should aspire to be like him. No. Yeah, no. Hitch is over here. He is literally on their side. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because that's the other thing is he's in the apartment there and the composer is aligned with Lisa because every time she shows up, she's uh, really enchanted by the music where uh, Jeffrey's just he's like, yeah, whatever. He's not all that interested in it. Okay, yeah. Didn't I didn't make that parallel either. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. There's a lot. There, there's so much. All right, maybe. Well, you know, I, I did suspect that my opinion of this movie might jump up after we talk about it so uh, and like it, to be fair i have been watching this movie for 25 years like it is one of my <laughs> favorites it, it means a lot to me mm -hmm. so lisa comes back with the lobster dinner she's into the music and she tries to be romantic and says it's like it was written especially for us and she's right because it literally was written especially for <laughs> them it's her theme yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he's really dismissive about it, and she's visibly hurt. He's just like, "Well, that's probably why he's having so much trouble with it." And and Fucking we see her dick. hurt. Oh, what a dick thing to say! Completely. Wow. And there's just an instant, and like I I think she's obviously the best performance in this movie. Maybe my best performance uh, of anything we've watched this year. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> my number one. All right. <laughs> Just this this one instant of her 
registering what he said, being hurt by it, and was like, okay, no, no, we're going to soldier on. I was like, fine. All right. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll win this battle. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, it cuts to later in the evening and her just talking about his need to travel. And it's another one of those, what is it you're hiding exactly? <laughs> <laughs> what can't you get here with me? What's what's uh, missing from that equation? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, I just figured it out. Oh, I just figured out the implication. Yeah, yeah. And she, she likens it to him being a tourist on endless vacation, which is also true. And he says, shut up. <laughs> yeah, he, he says, shut up. <laughs> he literally just resorts to shut up because he's got nothing else. Oh my god. Why are you with this man? And, and it's also basically, well, you can't live my action lifestyle. He's talking about all the <laughs> camping. He's like, well, you, you wear that kind of dress and the, or those sort of shoes in the jungle. You and, might get <laughs> dirty. And Lisa, like, very dryly, is like, well, if there's one thing I know, it's how to wear the proper clothes to a thing come on <laughs> what are you stupid <laughs> come on wow and and she finally lays in like you know it's deflating that uh the only way i can be a part of your life is to take a subscription out for your magazine dude <laughs> <laughs> burn and his argument is still the same thing it's like well you're perfect you've got the town in the palm of your hand he's like yeah well not quite it seems <laughs> it's like, well, you know, uh, fine. I, I could get lots of other guys. I'm not looking for other guys, you dimwit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and did, did, this is the breakup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Him trying to break up. He's like, well, fine. Goodbye. Forever. At least until tomorrow evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta come back and do shit because you're stuck in this chair. <laughs> Fuck. Which, you know, it could, again, be sort of like what's going on with the Thorwalds. You know, yeah. <laughs> He's like, fine, okay, I gotta come back tomorrow and deal with you. I'm, I'm leaving now, because he doesn't sleep in the bedroom with her. He sleeps in the living room in, uh, like on the couch. Yeah. So, from this low in his relationship of the attempted breakup, which obviously doesn't stick at all... <laughs> He turns around because there's a scream and breaking of glass. Stone cold. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone's going to get a fucking stone cold stunner across the way. If you smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> if you smell what Thorvald's cooking. Uh, so, right. His relationship hits this low. That's the moment that the murder takes place. Mm -hmm. He hears the scream. He hears the breaking and he doesn't even think to look at the Thorwalds first. It's not where his mind goes. Oh, and yeah. the, the camera just sort of goes all over the place. It pans past the shades being closed there because it's it's all closed up and dark. Mm -hmm. So then it, it cuts to later on. We, we sort of just see a little bunch of snippets of him being awake most of the night, sitting in this chair, looking at the neighbors, which Stella's right. He does have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This can't yeah. be good for him. It's got to be bad for you. Well, I got to stay awake in case they do something and I miss it. Yeah. it's. Do you remember? Oh, it's a very short clip from an early Kids in the Hall episode 
where I think it's, hmm, I, I want to say it's Bruce McCulloch, but maybe it's Dave Foley, where he, he's just waiting for the moment that they're going to show hardcore nudity on regular television if he's just like up late enough and there's a moment where he sees full nudity for just a flash it's like oh, i saw it honey i saw it but his wife won't believe him because she's fallen asleep and he just can't stop watching for it again it just <laughs> happened it's like that <laughs> eventually i'll witness a murder <laughs> yeah so it starts to rain a little bit which means uh, the the fire escape couple have to go inside yeah, they gotta pull their whole mattress in and all that. They they have like an alarm clock just hanging from the railing on a string. It's really fun. Uh, I they they talk about in the making of documentary on this that uh, Hitchcock instructed each of the actors to take the mattress in a different window <laughs> without telling them. <laughs> <laughs> just to make it so that, that when that guy f- falls in the window on the other side that wasn't like rehearsed or anything that was just the way it worked out pretty funny. Oh, amazing <laughs> so uh jeff during the the rain and he's only semi-awake which again yeah. it makes it all sort of dreamy in these sequences and it's hard to say what the reality is mm-hmm. but he sees thorwald leave the first time with the suitcase, which uh, we'll later know is definitely full of body parts. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> spoiler alert, he did kill the wife. He he killed the wife right here and he's dismembered her and he's taking the parts out over the course of the night. Yeah. And it is pretty suspicious. He comes back 90 minutes later and then leaves again th- at 345 or around 345 in the morning uh, with another briefcase full of body parts and like what would you be selling at three o'clock a.m he's a guy who sells costume jewelry yeah but you know (laughs) what though you know i'll I'll tell you uh maybe he's not allowed to smoke pot in his apartment (laughs) so maybe he he's had a you know a stressful day so it's like he's gonna go out there and he's gonna smoke and he of course keeps his paraphernalia in his briefcase i'm not speaking from personal experience no, but see, the, the funniest thing is I knew a guy in high school who had all of his weed paraphernalia in a briefcase that we were using for an acting class thing because it was the <laughs> easiest way to keep it portable because it had been found out at home. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so he actually had it in a briefcase like this, and I was thinking about that. <laughs> that's that's funny because yeah. that's one of his main arguments, like, Okay, all this other stuff lines up, but why would he leave three times in the middle of the night? And I'm like, well, here's why I do it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it could like there, there's various things as they will say later. And you, it, it's delicate looking into all of these lives. It's really private stuff that we're looking into out there. Yeah, and like you don't always have the full context, so you can't all you can't really be making assumptions because he misses. Uh, he misses some important woman. stuff. Yeah. yeah, very important stuff. Although it turns out to be a misdirect for the audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which which worked. Like that just went yeah. ahead and solidified that. Oh no, he's actually crazy. It's great the way it plays it down the line right up until the last moment. Yeah, uh, it's it's very effectively done. Yeah, yeah. Like um, there's less incriminating stuff in here than there is in the Simpsons episode where he didn't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the reason he's able to see him 
coming back and leaving again is the composer is drunkenly hitting the piano and stuff because he he's just it's not working out he's really uh kind of in a in a bad space i feel like nobody really gets a lot of sleep in this uh apartment complex it's uptown new york is the city that never sleeps oh of course <laughs> even in the 50s yeah this is probably, like probably when it that. got the name yeah yeah so at some point later and it's not clear jeff wakes up again to uh miss torso coming home and she's fighting off that suitor from earlier the wolf it yeah. underlines again okay yeah lisa was correct and he sees it and realizes he's correct but keeps it to himself yeah. <laughs> and then thorwald returns again but when he's coming in is when jeffries finally starts to doze off because that's when we see him leave with what we will know later is his mistress at dawn yep but of course who i assumed was the wife Right, because it's just him leaving with the lady that we haven't seen previously come into the apartment. And then the next morning, the energy is so fucking high. Like, it's just incredibly bustling when it shows the, the morning hit. Is this where we first meet Basket Dog? Yes, we kind of introduced to all of the neighbors and all of the bustle. Uh, so first, there's this guy delivering a big cube of ice. <laughs> right. And he talks uh, to the, the... sculptress. Yeah. Uh, for the what? For for the artist or the sculptress. Yeah, I don't know if he's delivering it to her, but he's he stops to talk to her and he's like, oh, what's that? Because she's working on the sculpture and it's sort of a cube with a head and it's empty in the middle. He's like, it's called hunger. <laughs> <laughs> it's called it's called dignity. <laughs> yeah. Miss Torso, of course, is dancing. Of course. Uh, the fire escape people again. Yeah, this is where we meet their dog, who's really cute. He's he's got a basket that he travels up and down from the fire escape with. Yep, and they they just lure him down and let him run around to the courtyard. He's a little like terrier dog. He's cute. Yep, um, likes to likes to sniff around where he uh, shouldn't though. Oh yeah, he he gets into stuff. He gets so, into some shit. So Stella is is in the apartment again, and she's uh, given an, uh, Jeff a massage, and she's complaining about the rain because it didn't cool anything off. As she said, it just made the heat wet. I'm just like, Ugh. I can feel that, you know, <laughs> like, Ugh. oh, God, I feel that in my bones. And he's like, just given a report on the whole courtyard drama of the night. And he's like, oh, well, this is what happened in my soaps. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah, 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 you have a problem. I'll recommend you to a, psycho to a psychiatrist when we're done here. Well, he's starting to theorize about Thorwald. He's like, well, mm -hmm. something's going on there, but he doesn't suspect murder yet. Nope, but he suspects something. Well, he thinks he's making to leave. He, he's uh, he's. He thought he was sneaking out all of his personal effects so that he'd be able to run out on her in a hurry. And he's like, oh, he's leaving this poor bedridden wife alone. Right. But uh, they they look and he's like, oh, well, there he is, because he's standing at the window looking out. So they move back into the dark area of the apartment. He's like, oh, don't let him see us. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, do, you, do you think he's looking at you now? <laughs> well, well, what kind of person would just stare out at the window across at their neighbors? Well, yeah, Certainly. yeah. Again, he's <laughs> he's not seeing himself in what he's doing. But 
the important thing is when they're watching him, they see what he's looking at. It's the dog. Mm-hmm. Because the dog's digging away at the corner rosebush. But the sculptress shoes it away first. Yeah, like, no, 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 he's going to get mad at you. And it's like, hey, yeah, because she knows he got mad at him. Right? Or she got, he got mad at her yesterday for uh, talking about for digging talking him at exact it. spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when we start getting into advanced voyeurism because he's like get me my binoculars before you leave <laughs> yeah it's like okay now buddy uh <laughs> he's like oh i don't know i smell trouble with this but okay <laughs> so uh jeff gets the binoculars and he watches what thorwald's doing he's rebuilding his jewelry sample case yeah we see him like wiping down the inside of it and then putting the racks and everything and like the hooks and everything back in. And he's even doing like the shifty eyed dog thing, looking around suspiciously <laughs> while he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff is like, well, these, these binoculars aren't good enough. And he gets this massive, unbelievable telephoto lens. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so talking visual metaphor, this is one of the most famous in the movies when he gets the, the telephoto lens off the rack and he sets it down in his lap and it's very penis like <laughs> just sitting on the cast it's, it's huge he... camera erection you know for <laughs> voyeurism oh my god yes totally <laughs> it, it's also right around here where i was convinced that he's lost the the pot it's like okay now right. you've got this big camera this is just going to be about a creepy guy snapping photos like if it were made in the 90s, it'd be about a creepy guy snapping photos, maybe played by Robin Williams or something. They did one in the aughts with Rihanna. It's called Disturbia, and it's just completely a ripoff of this. Oh, OK. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It came out in like 2006 or 2007. Huh. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, I hear it's sleazy and bad. <laughs> Probably. But of course, Body Double, which I mentioned, I, I rewatched last week, which the the De Palma one, uh, it, it has a whole setup with that where this guy is watching this lady dance through a telephoto or, or uh, a telescope okay. that looks a whole lot like this. That's shot to emulate a lot of the same shots. But he's just like staying in some other guy's apartment, and he's been told that this lady does this, and it's all a it's a plot. It's it's a whole okay. it's very complicated. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. So what he's he he gets the telephoto lens and what he sees is that Thorvald is wrapping a very huge knife in a newspaper. <laughs> this is, is a murder knife. Yeah, it is a murder knife. That's definitely one of the more concerning things he's seen, that he's wrapping this huge knife up in newspaper for some reason. And then he lies down for a nap. It's like yep. he's been getting rid of body parts all night. He's fucking tired <laughs> as hell. <laughs> yep still still sleeps on the couch though does does not go into the bedroom right yeah it's still closed up and we don't know what's going on there so then we have this incredibly long gliding pan that shows what everybody out in the courtyard is doing and it's sort of a things are a little bit better uh we, there's been a pressure valve you had that bit of rain and it's sort of a pressure valve on the heat wave and all the annoyance that everyone's having it's like the do the right thing you know, the end of that. You know, <laughs> there is there's the a trash lot can. of, uh, yeah. Because, yeah, it, it feels like that, that they've, they've had this pressure valve that the Thorwald murdering his wife allowed everyone <laughs> to just sort of like, okay, it was all building up and someone did it. 
And now <laughs> you can sort of, everyone can be okay for a bit. The composer's up in his uh, top corner uh, cleaning his floor and you know, kind of stepping back over to tap at the piano, like, hmm, working it out. I thought it would be hilarious if it turned out that one of the other people was actually a murderer and Thorwald was innocent. That would be interesting. There's probably some variation where that exists. Um, I like to imagine that one of the places, one of the apartments that he can see that he just doesn't pay any attention to is the one from Rope. It could be. (laughs) One thing that we see here is one of the very rarely seen families is there's an actual family with a child uh, up in the very top corner uh, above above the the composer. Hmm. Which, yeah, no, we don't see much of them at all. Which I think is another pointed thing, because it's a level of domesticity which is practically unimaginable to Jeff. Like, he's mm-hmm. not even thinking that far ahead. Like, it's just totally not even on his radar. So you just yeah, see a flash sure. of them when, when we're going past other people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the fire escape people, we see how they whistle the dog in, how it comes up the basket and everything, which is really cute. I love this dog. It's so adorable. And uh, we we go all the way around. We see the newlywed shade still drawn. Yep. <laughs> and that that is to be contrasted with Jeff and Lisa cuddling and kissing in in his chair next to the window. Bastard! I want to kiss her. <laughs> but he's not paying attention to her. <laughs> no, he is not because he fucking sucks. <laughs> like, he he keeps looking at Thorwald, and he's like pay attention to me while while I'm sitting in your lap and kissing you. He's like, well, I'm not exactly on the other side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> but, you know, his mind is elsewhere, like, obviously. Yeah, basically, like, hey, stop making out with me for a second and look at this. And he's like, he's worried about Thorwald. He's like, I think something's terribly wrong here. And... Lisa's getting the wrong impression. She thinks he's talking about her. And it's like, I'm afraid it's with me. Or something too frightful to utter. <laughs> mm? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on with you, Jeff? He's like, no, no, Thorwald. Uh, but he before that, he's looking at Torso for a second. He starts looking at Torso, who's uh, in bed in her negligee, eating. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because he starts to talk about the dismemberment, about how uh, uh, he he thinks Thorwald dismembered the wife and took care of her because uh, she's, uh, you know, it's he, she's bedridden and he hasn't been in there all day to her and the it, the shades are drawn in this fucking horrible heat. It's like something's not right. Yeah. And he saw him leaving all the night. So he's he's given the whole story. And like, I, I think he's been maybe dismembering her. And we see Torso in bed in her negligee. And the line he says at the end of the dismemberment thing, like, that'd be a terrible job to tackle. <laughs> well, he's looking at Torso. Yeah. And, you know, also that she is Torso and that, you know, it's dismemberment, yeah, dismemberment to Torso. To but torso. But it's also the gay thing, <laughs> the unspoken things like, oh, that'd be a terrible job to tackle while he's looking at, you know, a, a woman in negligee because he's much more interested in this murder stuff. And he doesn't mm-hmm. really want to get into this sex thing that's going on in his face right now. 
literally in his face. It is yeah. trying to happen to his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, Thorwald returns to his apartment and he's got a big rope. And he it's the first time he goes into the bedroom, finally. And he's like, well, he's going in there right now. What do you think? And he goes to turn and she actually like physically turns the chair around. It's like, no, no, stop this. <laughs> this <laughs> like, is ridiculous. Listen, I am too good to put up with this. Wow. Yeah. And come on, a murderer would never parade his crime in front of an open window. Are you crazy? Why would he do that? Some people don't think that far ahead. No, not a lot of planning. Yeah. And she, this is one of my favorite jokes in the movie where she points to the newlyweds at the drawn shades. It pans back over there. She says, for all you know, something far more sinister is happening behind those windows. (laughs) Jeff, <laughs> no, no comment. comment. <laughs> <laughs> a little joke just for himself and us. She doesn't know what he's like. What? Whatever. <laughs> but then Lisa, she becomes distracted. She starts noticing what's going on in Thorwald's apartment. And they both turn to watch and like, he's tying up this huge box with rope and the beds all rolled up. <laughs> like the, the shades are finally up and, the wife's just gone. It's like, let's start from the beginning again, Jeff. <laughs> this time I'm actually going to listen to you. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's open up lines of communication. If I listen to you, maybe you'll start listening to me. Well, I don't think that'll happen, but I'll, I'll definitely talk. <laughs> but it's true. It, yeah. it is how it works out. Like, it did, like yeah. okay, fine. We're going to compromise. I'm going to open up lines. I, I will indulge in your interests. so she starts immediately to become action girl she goes over and gets their names off the mailbox Mm -hmm. (laughs) phones from across the way uh to like from a payphone to to say like okay it's mr and mrs lars thorvald and she's like what's he doing right now and (laughs) just like he's just sitting there in the living room in the dark you know who else is just sitting in the living room in the dark looking out the window? Hmm. I can what think of doing? one person. Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps seeing this guy and like, oh, I don't know. And he's just doing the same thing. <laughs> I, I like the visual because uh, we don't really ever, because when it's really dark, we don't see Thorwald. We just see like the little flicker of light from him lighting a cigarette. Yeah, he's usually smoking. I think he's smoking a cigar that it's that that we can see it from that far away, and he's just right. we see just the red tip of the cigar puff once in a while. Eerie. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So next morning, Jeff calls his detective friend Doyle, who is really fun too. It's Wendell I Corey. Love, I love Doyle, and uh, he he convinced me a little too hard that there was nothing going on. He's good and he's funny and he does like really pull some zings on them at times. And it, it's it's sort of an important argument that has to be made. It's like he is saying that, like, yeah, this is not a good thing and people shouldn't do this. It's a real don't do this at home, folks. <laughs> yeah, basically, like just like Stella it's like, well, you will go to jail if you do this for real, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't don't just go accusing people of murder because you see one little sliver of their life here and there. 
And also, You're don't excessively watch other people's lives from yeah. your window. Yeah. Uh, I, I love him because he, every time he leaves the room, he kind of does like a reverse Columbo, where he's like, one yeah. more thing. Here's this another is thing why that it makes didn't it perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another, here's another thing that makes it seem perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> so Stella is already pulled in. We We didn't see... Uh, the discussion that convinced her, but she's like, I wonder how he cut her up. <laughs> he must have done it in the bathroom. I think she just pulled herself in. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, well, this is fun. I, I can get into this. This is, this is a fun little way to spend the week. <laughs> and this is where he's just smoking the cigar, lying on the couch. Well, just watching him there and like, it's kind of eerie. <laughs> <laughs> so Stella steps out of the room and Jeff you know, he, he pans over and like, oh, hey, there's Torso. And she's hanging out her, her underwear and bra. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Right. And he, he pans over to the newlyweds. and like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. And he's smiling. I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and they, their blinds are up for a second. Uh, Mr. Newlywed Harry <laughs> yeah. is is looking out for just a moment to have a smoke. <laughs> Was immediately called back. This is yeah. all we get from them ever is Harry. And he draws the blind and disappears back inside to do his husbandly duty. <laughs> no comment. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> so some movers show up to Thorwald's and he has them take the huge chest out. Oh, that's not suspicious. And Stella does uh, just like Lisa. She's like, oh, I'm going to run out and I'll see if I can get the name off the truck before uh they they take off with it but she'd man she she doesn't manage to get there just in time mm-hmm. or she it, it goes past just before she get she uh, is able to get to it and uh jeff watches as thorwald makes a long distance call which is pretty key yep but you know there's a perfectly logical explanation maybe i'm sure possibly there could be but we don't know yet mm-hmm. so doyle Shows up, Wendell Corey, a classic actor, and he's very skeptical, which he kind of needs to be in this line of work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, why don't you go in there? I can't just go into his apartment. Oh, my God. And um, notably as well, Doyle is a married man. He's happily married. And in the first few shots of him, when he comes into the apartment and they're looking out at stuff in the shots where he's talking, it shows the actual family way up in the upper right. Oh. He's the only person who's settled. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. we see the family behind him. It's pretty much the only time we see much of them. He's like, okay. look, I'll look into it privately, but I'm definitely not making any actual report about this because, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I am not telling the guys about this. Holy shit. And Jeff's attention gets pulled by the dog. Uh, we, we hear some whining and the, the dog's digging. And Thorvald comes out and he very gently shoes it away, which is out of character for him mm-hmm. to be gentle and nice. So it's suspicious. <laughs> like, He's not being weird. an asshole right now. Yeah. Why wouldn't he just like shriek at that dog and, and kick at it? Because that seems like his style more often like hmm, yeah and doyle's been looking into it and is like well his lease is up in two weeks and both 
him and his wife, and this is confirmed by many witnesses, left at 6 a.m. Like, ah, that's right around when I fell asleep. Hmm. Yeah, so you fell asleep and you didn't see them leave. Okay, case closed. And Stuart's like, well, what about these witnesses? Did you get their bank statements? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, just like, he's just like, huh? What? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? I, I like this bit because he, he's talking about the it's like, well, he thinks the case is closed and his his attention is drawn to torso. And he's just staring at her for like a pretty long beat, mm-hmm. just gazing. And Jeff leans over. How's your wife? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh uh, she's fine. <laughs> but he is like, look, Thorwald put his wife on a train to the country. It's what the landlord said. The landlord saw him when he came back and he told him what was going on. And that's where he says the thing. It was like, well, did you check the landlord's bank statement? <laughs> and just, yeah, Doyle's delivery of just that complete, like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> it's just so, so perfect. Huh? Just the appalled confusion. Right. And he's like, well, why don't you go over there and search the apartment before there, all of the evidence is taken out? He's like, well, we can't do that. He's like, what is he? Uh, d- does he have a, an agreement with the local police? <laughs> like, Listen, motherfucker. <laughs> do you know how cops do things? <laughs> it's like, obviously, I need a search warrant for this shit. He's like, OK, look, just one more thing. There was a postcard signed from Mrs. Thorwald that arrived this morning. Like, huh, well, that does seem kind of conclusive, but I don't know. Although a postcard wouldn't have arrived from the destination that fast. I think they arrived really fast back in the day, and it's oh. only from upstate. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So we get to later that evening. He's back to watching his shows. <laughs> He's just eating a bologna sandwich and window surfing, you know? <laughs> come I knock on my door, come I knock on my door. <laughs> uh, and Miss Lonely Hearts, she steals herself. She's going to go out. She's she's oh. going oh, to find no, somebody. Thinking, oh, no, go out. I was, I'm thinking of a different scene later. Yeah, on. yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. That's much later. That, no, that's she's going to go out on a date. She's going out on a date. She's going clubbing. Uh, yeah. We we hear again. It's it's a silent scene. Her phonograph is playing a song, waiting for my true love to appear. On the nose, <laughs> and she takes a few real stiff drinks before she goes. It takes a lot for her to get up the courage. It's not that easy. Totally fair. Yeah, but hey, she she's gonna go and do it. I mean, she she does better than I do. You know. <laughs> it's party night in in the courtyard because uh, the composer's having a big party up in his corner. Yeah, and uh, Miss Torso has a dance instructor over, who like she's doing a dance with uh, another ballet guy, and there there's an instructor like telling them yeah. how to do it. So it pans across all of them, and we see uh, Lonely Hearts going to the bar right across through the alley. So you only have yeah. to go across the street. Not bad. Not bad at all. And it shows that, like, the camera follows her in there and then Thorwald coming back past in the same movement, which is cool. Mm-hmm. 
And he goes up and he's assembling all his clothing to pack away. <laughs> yep, just Please. laying it all on the bed. Yeah, preparing everything. And Jeff's like, oh, shit, he's getting ready to bug out, which it should clue him in for starters that, you know, if he's arranging all his personal effects, he obviously wasn't taking out all his personal effects the other night. But he doesn't quite put that together until later. I didn't put that together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Right. So he calls Doyle, but Doyle's out. He's like, uh, he, he gets the sitter and he's out till like 1 a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. So he watches and Thorwald makes another long distance call. And he's picking through his wife's purse and it's full of jewelry, which is like, that's suspect. That <laughs> is strange. suspect. Hmm. Especially like they, they bring it up later on, like, well, she's not going to go upstate and leave all her jewelry and purse behind. Especially not her wedding ring, which is or yeah, it's her wedding ring. We see him look at like mm-hmm. a wedding band, just a plain gold band. Like, hmm, hmm. I did notice uh, that whenever we see close ups on his fingers, like from here on, he's not wearing his. That's right. He's taking it off. Yeah. So Lisa shows up, and this is where she's got the same, or a version of the same outfit as Miss Lonely Hearts, like a more fashionable, younger version, mm-hmm. which is sort of her as Lonely Hearts. She's got the same attire. It's the date attire. Uh, they both have these green dresses, and they both yep. have that really chunky bracelet with all the stuff hanging off it. Mm. And Lisa's really alarmed by the information about the purse. She's like, okay, no lady's going to go without her purse, without all of the jewelry like come on i don't buy that at all if the wedding ring is in there he definitely killed her yeah yeah and i'm just thinking like maybe she forgot it right. i've forgotten my wallet before <laughs> you don't really forget the wedding ring but no. well yeah i guess not so they wait for him to go all the way out and go past <laughs> go past the alleyway before they're comfortable with turning the lights on in the apartment. It's like, okay, all right. <laughs> Whew. So she's like, I think that the woman at 6 a.m. had to have been his mistress. So she's the one who comes up with this correct theory. Yeah. Then she's like, okay, well, he's out. What more can we do? You've already called Doyle. She sits down in his lap. They cuddle a bit. And they, they kind of joke about how crap Doyle has to be for not getting it. It's like, come on, this is so obvious that he did it. What does this Doyle think he's doing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still kind of on Team Doyle at this point. But but I am still a little bit like, hmm, maybe the twist will be that he is the murderer. Yeah. Around this point, I'm thinking that. Okay. <laughs> so they start to kiss. And, yeah. of course, Jeff's like, Oh, I sure wish he'd show up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Referring to Doyle, of course. He's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm getting a little nervous here. And Lisa's like, don't rush him. We have all night. And he's kind of scandalized that she's decided she's spending the night in his apartment. <laughs> what? Like, like a thing that heterosexual couples <laughs> do? Um, Hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, I mean, he can't he can't have sex because he's in a full body cast for his bottom part. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, but. Uh, yeah, e- even just the, the presence of her is a little too much. He, he is a little scandalized by it. <laughs> yeah. But it's important for her because she's showing off how resourcefully she can pack. Mm-hmm. 
she's got this incredibly tiny little clasp and she opens it up and it's just like clothes billow out of it like oh a, a magic God. show <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's like an elegant version of the snakes jumping out of the can yeah uh, and she's got like really nice slippers. She's got the exact same nightgown that Mrs. Thorwald was wearing when she was murdered. <laughs> so uh, there's hmm. that. It's just got, you know, an extra frill on it. And she again, she pauses to admire the composer playing. And she's he's again playing the Lisa theme, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she's like, look, Jeff, a PI needs a girl Friday. You're seeing how this works. Isn't this great? <laughs> And he does his stupid thing again. He's always got to throw it back. It's like, oh, funny how they never end up marrying. And he's like, she rolls her eyes. She like literally <laughs> rolls her eyes at this and like, weird. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go change into something more comfortable, okay? Yeah. Make some coffee. Uh, we, we see the newlywed Harry pop in and out again. Just, just once. And then Boy- Doyle shows up. Oh, good. Doyle, now now he doesn't have to be alone with this beautiful woman. And Doyle, you know, doing his detective work, he sees Lisa's pajamas <laughs> and hears her humming in the other room, like, hmm, like significantly looking at them and uh, just yeah. like, careful. Careful. <laughs> and he he's a little worried. He doesn't have all the information yet. He's waiting on a call to confirm to for him confirm that it didn't happen. He's starting to think that maybe Thorwald actually did do it. Mm-hmm. So he's concerned and he looks over at the dark apartment. He's like, so what, what else you got on this guy? So he goes over all the stuff that they've seen that day and the yeah. stuff that they feel like, you know, the women's intuition, the stuff, with the ring, the purse and uh, him packaging all his stuff to take off. And Lisa shows a, like comes comes into the room. She's got a couple of sniffers of brandy, and she says, "We think Thorwald's guilty." <laughs> <laughs> Goes back out of the kitchen, like, "Hmm, hmm, all right." <laughs> uh, Doyle looks again at the the lingerie for a moment. And is like, "Careful, Tom." <laughs> <laughs> so the phone rings because uh, Doyle gave them this number to reach him, yeah. and he. Well, the the information he receives, we don't hear it, but it makes him start to dismiss everything they say. He starts to become kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> he just starts dunking on all of their thoughts. Well, what do you want to do? Solve the case or make me look bad? Well, I'd like to do both if I can. I mean, both would be perfect. The, the thing about theory about the mistress, like, well, how do you know that? We have all these witnesses who say it's the wife. And it's like, well, the stuff about the jewelry and the purse. It's like, you know, women's intuition has never solved any cases that I know of. And he's he, he's kind of a jerk about that. Yeah. But the main thing is he scolds them about peeping. It's like, you really shouldn't be doing this. It's a private world out there. And, you know, what people do in private doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, does everything you do uh, look totally on the level when you're... Uh, uh uh, from from the outside like that's a secret private world you're looking into out there and uh, again you know looking at the pjs again (laughs) (laughs) yeah like oh do you tell your landlord the truth about everything yeah it's like 
maybe the the their theory is like, well, maybe they didn't tell the landlord the truth, or maybe yeah. he lied about the thing because he was hiding something, and he just pointedly looks at the pajamas again. It's like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he finally lets it drop. It's like, yeah, they found the trunk. It was full of all of Mrs. Uh, Thorwald's clothes. Yeah. And he's like, eh, come on, this is this is silly. Let, let's just chill. We'll have a friendly drink and forget all about it. And the two of them, they're like, they're not up for a friendly drink. <laughs> they, they're like, hmm, I don't know. No. They're not convinced. Uh, we're still in metal mode. So he's like, I guess not. <laughs> so he's, he, he leaves pretty awkwardly. He's like, yeah. Yeah, check the yellow pages next time you got police work. <laughs> <laughs> real uh real nice way of saying don't fucking bother me with this shit again yeah lisa basically like she's audience now you know once she's in on the murder thing and getting into it she is part of the audience as a frustrated audience member as him leaving's like oh i love funny exit lines <laughs> <laughs> just she's fuming she's got the brandy snifter she's angrily shaking it <laughs> <laughs> So, like, his last parting thing is, like, yeah, that, that call was from Merrittsville Police. Uh, and Mrs. Anna Thorwald is the one who picked up the trunk in Merrittsville. Or at least, you know, someone saying she was. Yeah, so that's that. So he, he takes off. And Miss Lonely Hearts comes home with this dude. But it doesn't go well. No, it does not. He's way too young for her. He's, like, clearly a lot younger. And he's drunk, and he immediately starts to get fresh, and she fucking gets pissed off and kicks him out. Yeah. But we can't hear any of it, because the composer has just this really big party going. <laughs> They're singing Mona Lisa. All of the songs uh -huh. he's playing are Lisa-based. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Lisa. Yeah. So the camera pulls all the way back into the apartment. We... we kind of turn off the TV in the background for a bit. And they're like, huh, well, geez. <laughs> it's like, maybe Doyle was right. That's some pretty private stuff going on out there. Because they're, you know, seeing the thing with Miss Lonely Hearts kind of killed their buzz. It's like, that's yeah, a bummer. Yeah. This isn't great. Maybe and they, we should just stop this voyeur thing altogether. Yeah, this isn't really ethical, is it? And there's this really interesting shot where she kisses him and we just see the backs of their heads. Yeah. Like she's leaning over the back of his wheelchair and he's still sort of looking out the window and she leans in to kiss him looking window words. And we're just looking at the backs of their heads in front of their, you know, TV, basically. Mm -hmm. But then she's like, OK, I'm drawing the blinds. Show's over for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> And she she holds up the pajamas. Preview of coming attractions. <laughs> wow. So she models the nightgown for him. Just, you know, she is literally a model. Uh -huh, of course. But there's a scream. And they have to reopen the curtains in a hurry. And like, oh shit, starting back up again. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you think you're out, season two begins. And basket dog. Oh no. Oh my god. I 
uh, I didn't even think about that this would be a movie where I'd have to look up if the dog died. <laughs> Basket Dog has been murdered, and everybody comes to see. This is the moment where we actually get close-ups. It's suddenly everyone is the audience. The whole mm-hmm. apartment complex is suddenly looking at the show. Yeah. It's it's literally the first time the camera has left from the apartment perspective. The whole movie. Oh, we start yeah. to get a few close-ups of each of them just to see who they all are. And then when everyone goes back in, you know, after, you know, the the fire escape lady curses everyone out as shitty neighbors. Yeah. Uh every, all everyone the goes the dog did was love you. Yeah. Uh, you know, feel dog. bad. It seemed really sweet. But they they realize that everybody came out except Thorwald. He just kept on smoking in the dark the whole time. Yep, and and is I think here is one of the places where you see just that red dot. Yeah, exactly. And they're looking at it like, yeah, that's creepy. I think he killed that dog. <laughs> There's the who, dog who else would have done too it? Much. Dog. The dog knew too much. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that's literally exactly he, why it happened. And he has that line. It's so good. (laughs) I love it. So next day, Stella, Lisa, and Jeff, they're all sitting watching the TV, right? (laughs) 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 They're they're all lined up. They got the binoculars and they got the the telephoto and they're watching Thorwald wash down the walls at dusk. Because it's late in the day. We skip the whole morning. We just skip to the evening next day and he's washing the walls and like, that's troubling. <laughs> this is the first time we've seen the bathroom open again. He's just scrubbing down the walls and like, oh, man, it must have splatted everywhere is what Stella is thinking. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, OK. And he starts to look at the courtyard and he gets an old slide from taking pictures of the courtyard before and compares it and realizes that the flowers on the corner where the dog was digging have changed in height. They're lower and when do flowers get lower? Yeah. Hmm. And he knows he was digging there. And she was saying he was digging too deep. And he's like, I bet he has something buried there. Because yeah. the dog knew too much, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's, that's why the dog had to go. And they see Thorwald starting to pack up. He's like, oh, shit, we kind of need to act fast. Uh, let's write a threatening note. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I'm like oh my god, you guys, please stop. Like, to me, the suspense is like, these guys are going to be found out and it's going it's to be so cringe. That's what the suspense was to me at this point. Which didn't exist at this point. You're, you're, no. you're looking at it from a perspective of a movie that didn't exist yet. Style of, of filmmaking. <laughs> so, Lisa delivers it, and it's, it's tense. Like, she has to go in there, uh, she... Puts it under the door. He runs out. It's just at the last second she gets out around the corner. She has to hide. Like, he comes running around and looks for her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, she's she's the action girl already. Yeah. And so he finally goes back to packing. And Stella, meanwhile, she notices something's going on with Miss Lonely Hearts, which is not where they've been looking. And Stella's like, can I borrow that portable keyhole? It's a (laughs) good line for the telephoto lens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, this, this is where... Yeah. yeah. Ooh, brutal. Miss Lonely Hearts, she's laying out some pills. A whole lot of sleeping pills. A whole lot of pills. Yeah. Uh, as as Stella says, yeah, enough to put New Jersey to sleep for the next 10 years or something. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, that's not good. 
Yeah, like, hey, guys, here's where the real problem is that we need to intervene with. Right. There's these two crises going on, and they keep forgetting about it because they're so excited about this other thing and kind of turned on. Because, like, Lisa comes back and she's really excited about what happened. It's like, (laughs) what was his face like? What was it like? And we see just it's the first time we've seen a shot of Jeff just so turned on by her. We cut to him and he is just like. Oh man, I'm I'm in love with this woman. <laughs> it's like it, it it's hitting him. She could go down in the mud with me. Yeah. So they start to go over their theories again. It's like we're the wedding ring has to be in the handbag. Yeah. If we can get that handbag and prove the wedding rings there, we we know he killed her. And Stella's like, I want to dig up that garden and see what that dog was looking for. <laughs> and Lisa's like, why not? I've always wanted to beat Mrs. Thorvald. Just like, what? No. <laughs> this is not a good idea. <laughs> this is a bad idea. Lisa's like, well, if you're squeamish, just don't look. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, I, I guess you're dead set on doing this. I'm like, okay, I guess so. And he phones Thorvald and makes a threat to him to tell him, like, come meet me at this bar uh to you know he's he pretends to be extorting him yeah well i only have a hundred bucks that's enough no that'll be a start start. and we see miss lonely hearts draw the blinds but again they're busy with thorwalds they're not really thinking about it it's it's more the audience sees it but they don't like none of them are really looking at it yeah yeah the blinds are drawn but like you can still see what's going on through them yeah it's like they're drawn but not closed yeah so Stella and Lisa go down to the garden and start to dig it up. And Jeff gets some flash bulbs ready so he can signal them. They dig it up and there's nothing there. He already moved it. Yep. <laughs> so they're out of luck. Uh-oh. And Jeff calls Doyle again, but he's out till late. Oh, yeah, and I think this is the one where he talks to the the babysitter. He's like, yeah, I mean, he's out till 1 a.m. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's the weirdest thing. He sees Miss Lonely Hearts writing a note, and it doesn't register in his mind what he's actually seeing, because he thinks, like, oh, she's fine, after all. Yeah. Uh, well, don't need to worry about her. She but just decided writing to write a suicide it. note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it, because he doesn't actually understand her story at all. He doesn't, and his thoughts are on action. He's not thinking about women and loneliness, which yeah. is sort of his constant dichotomy. He's always thinking about the action he wants to be involved in. He's not thinking about women for one and his own future loneliness. Like mm-hmm. again, he doesn't realize that he's kind of looking at himself as Miss lonely hearts, not like just as he was looking at the, the wife and thinking of himself as Mr. Thorwald being henpecked rather than being yeah. the shitty invalid in the, in, in the situation. <laughs> but, uh, Lisa starts climbing up the fire escape. She's like, okay, I'm going to break in. <laughs> We're going to yeah. get what's in the handbag. And I, I this is incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Her climbing the fire escape. Just in this elegant evening dress, this, you know, high fashion Parisian dress. And she's just floating up like an angel. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like, insane. It's almost like Mary Poppins, but she's actually like doing it. She's not just, she's not being lifted. <laughs> Because you can't see her legs or anything. It's just this huge, fluffy dress. And it's just like her floating up the ladder. And then, you know, she can't get in the door because it's locked. So she 
you know, climbs off the fire escape and up through the window and she gets into the apartment. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's so awesome. And the whole time he's like, no, what are you doing? Why are you going inside? No, God damn it. He's being the audience. Like, don't go yeah. in there. No, don't go in the room. No. Get caught. No. And they call the police immediately uh, yeah. because they see Mrs. Lonely Hearts. They realize Miss Lonely Hearts is about to kill herself. Mm. And they, they start to dial the police for that. And then while they're waiting, she stops because the music stops her. Uh, the, the composer's song mm -hmm. uh, freezes her and she comes out and she listens to it and she decides not to kill herself. And is like, OK, well, we've already got the police on the phone. Like, let's get them to the apartment because there's a murder about to go down because uh, there's this really amazing shot. Lisa and Miss Lonely Hearts are parallel. They're in the same position in the same spot. They're looking at Miss Lonely Hearts because she's looking up at the composer. Mm -hmm. But in the shot right above or like right above her in the apartment, Lisa is standing and looking the same way and not realizing that Thorwald is showing up at his front door at that very moment. Like he he appears uh, at at the, the at his door and both of yeah. them are in the exact same spot. And she's found the jewelry. She's gesturing to them that she's found it's like. Oh, get, get out of there, though. Yeah, get out of there. Like, you can see him opening the doors. Like, she, she's not going to get out of here. And this, I think, is the coolest shot in the whole movie. Because as she enters, she runs to the back bedroom. Mm -hmm. And we can see him enter in a mirror framed at the middle of the room, right next to the edge of uh, the bedroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... You see the door open and him entering, but, you know, it's reflected, but it's in the middle where she is. So it's more intensified. Uh -huh. And they tell the police, like, hurry to uh, the apartment. You know, they already know the number and stuff yeah. they've <laughs> the because they've seen they've stalked him for a while. And he, he doesn't immediately realize that someone's in the apartment. Uh, he he realized that the suitcase is open because he, he walks all the way in. He goes in there and then the suitcase is open and the, the handbag is out. He's like, what the hell? And he knows that someone called him to get him out of there. So something's not yeah. right. And he finds Lisa, of course. And oh, it's weird. We, we just hear the light jazz from fucking Thor, from the composer's apartment uh, during this frightening interrogation sequence between them that we don't get to hear yeah yeah where he's just like advancing on her and he's a big dude yeah and he's she's huge. small and she starts grappling with him like they they start to fight and she starts screaming jeff jeff and <laughs> yeah. uh thorwald turns the lights out and is like whoa shit that's frightening <laughs> yeah <yep>, okay <laughs> but then the police arrive right at that moment and he turns the lights back on. And mm -hmm. this is that great moment where they get caught, where where we get caught. The audience yeah. gets caught peeping because they they have Lisa with the her back to the camera and she's got both hands behind her back and she's pointing at her finger where the wedding ring is. Yeah. And it's just yeah, this she... really close up shot of it. Yeah. But then we see that Thorwald notices that she's doing it and then she is able to figure out where she's pointing to well he he 
it, it pulls back and we see Thorwald looking at her gesturing. He's yeah. like, what the hell is she gesturing at? And then he looks out across the courtyard and sees them and looks directly down the barrel of the camera. And it's like, oh, shit, he saw us. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. This, this, this is the first time anyone has looked directly into the window or like Second. into the camera. Second. Oh, yeah, right, right. The newlyweds at the start. But, yeah, this is the first yes. time it's pointed and it's like a plot point. It's like, oh, Jesus, we're, yeah. we're seen. We, the yeah. audience, are seen. We've been caught. He's been caught. Uh, he he can get us now. Yeah. So Lisa gets arrested because she was breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have to gather up some bail money. And he, he like, you know, Jeff goes through his wallet and he's like, I got only like 120. And he knows exactly how much it is because he's done this stuff before. This is <laughs> his his day and day. You know, this is his thing. He's like, well, can you check Lisa's purse? And like 50 cents. <laughs> like, OK, well, that's not going to work out. <laughs> She's not someone who carries money, obviously. Yeah. And we, but they do not see Thorwald leave the apartment and head on over. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sent Stella to with the bail money, so he's just all alone in the apartment. Alone and completely unable to defend himself should anything happen. Right, he's stuck in a wheelchair. Yeah. Not much he could do with a... Uh... Big giant uh, murder guy just walked on in. Yeah, no, no, not not a good situation to be in. So he calls up Doyle again, and he fills him in on all of the new stuff. And now he's thought about it a bit more, and he actually has a counter to every argument. Because uh-huh. he's like, well, obviously, uh, the, he's been doing all of these long-distance phone calls. And if he's calling long-distance, why would she send the postcard to say if the first thing that he did was to call there and uh, realize that she was there. I mean, obviously, it, it's just a, a a misdirect. Yeah, Doyle's like, okay. Well, yeah, I think Doyle's right. not there. He, oh, no, he's just right. leaving a message or something. Right, right, right. Yes, sorry, yeah. So he, he hangs up, and he sees that the apartment is totally dark. And it finally occurs to him, he's like, wait a second, he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked right at me. Yeah, I'm like, huh. But it's not quite hitting him yet. And the phone rings again. And he picks it up like, Doyle, I think Thorvald's left. And then he gets a sinking feeling before he says anything. And he, he's like, hello? Yeah, like, uh, mm. There's just this long silence. And then the door outside, like his his apartment door, slams and st- footsteps start trudging up. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> At just this big, dark silhouette. Well, at first, just noise. He he hears yeah. the, the sound coming, and he gets all his flash cubes ready. Mm-hmm. So Thorwald enters this dark apartment, and you kind of feel for him, because he is just... <laughs> he doesn't understand what's been going on this whole movie. It's like, what do you want from me? Yeah. I don't have like, I much don't money. Have money. Why didn't you turn me in? I don't understand what's happening. Like, what even is this? And Jeff doesn't answer anything. He just stays totally silent over by the window, and it seems sinister in a way. Like, it you does actually. You, you get why uh, the murderer is unnerved. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's like, what do you want? Do you, do you want, I, I need the ring back. And it's like, well, the police are probably already have it. 
And uh, finally, he starts to advance on him, so he uses the flashes to blind him every few steps. Because it's totally dark in the apartment. Kind of a neat effect. Mm. Bright orange gel that, like... I do think it's kind of funny that uh, it still worked on Thorwald after the first time. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, they're very bright. Like that, that's a super bright flash. Yeah, I guess. And you can't. And I, you're in yeah, the dark. Okay. Yeah, his his right. eyes are kind of readjusting each time as he starts to move forward. I mean, it's a little unrealistic, but you know, it, it works. I was just thinking he could put his hand over his face. But anyways, it doesn't matter. He, he's he's not thinking clearly either, so it's okay. And across the way, Lisa and Doyle arrive, but they're. You know, at Thorwald's apartment instead of here. And Jeff's like mm-hmm. yelling, like, he's over here. He's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he starts strangling him and he ends up getting pushed out the window and he's like hanging. Oh, yeah. Here's here's one of the few shots we see like from inside the courtyard. Yeah. Uh, uh, and all of the neighbors come out to see again. It's. Like the dog's death. It's suddenly everyone is in the audience. The the whole bunch come out. Oh my god, somebody's killing the creepy voyeur guy. <laughs> the guy who's been looking at us. So he falls, he he lands, and Lisa cradles him in his lap, and he's like, I'm really proud of you. He he finally compliments her. He finds like, okay. You've convinced me. You you have uh, shown that you are way cooler than me. <laughs> uh, you you floated up the building. I fell out and fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you've really shown me. Yeah, totally. Uh, and the the cop is up in. There's a cop up in Jeff's apartment, uh, who calls down. And is like, yeah, Thorwald's gonna take us to where he dumped all the body parts. He's admitted it. He, he's been broken down by all of this. Yeah. <laughs> They've prepared him for the police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I can't stand that wheelchair guy. Just take me to jail, please. And Stella calls up and is like, I want to know what was in the garden. He's like, well, you can take a look. We, we found it in the hat box over in the, in the, his closet. It's like, I don't know about mm. that. Uh, obviously it's the head. Yeah, uh, of the head of the wife is, was what was buried there. So then we have just one last long pen of everything to resolve every single plot line. Yep. So Miss Lonely Hearts, she's up in the composer's apartment thanking oh. him for the music. And, you know, the, they've pressed the record finally and they play it. And it's called Lisa. <laughs> First line of the song, Lisa with your starry eyes. <laughs> Uh, and it, it continues past Thorwald's apartment is being repainted. Yep. So they're re, re uh, getting it ready for n- new people there. The fire escape couple have a new puppy. Oh, it comes down in the basket again. Oh yeah. They're trying to teach it how to use it. And, uh, Miss Torso, she welcomes home her, her boyfriend or husband, Stanley. Aww. Who's like, a, you know, he's a soldier and oh. so he's he's back on leave. And it's cute. They they immediately want to go have food instead of sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the newlyweds are arguing now. No, it's it's not bliss anymore cuz apparently he quit the jo- his job before they got married without telling her. <laughs> oh, so is he been doing that thing where it's like 
I have to go to work now and then sits on a park bench for eight hours. <laughs> I don't think he's been going out. I think it's oh. just they've gone past the honeymoon time and she's like, so you're not going to work? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, I quit. <laughs> like, what? It's it's more like the another day, another man quandary. Uh. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, did you just become worthless? What the hell? <laughs> and, you know, it goes all the way around and we see Jeff happily dozing in uh, the chair facing away from the windows uh, with, with two broken legs, <laughs> two broken legs <laughs> now, now casts on both legs and it continues past. And Lisa is there lounging next to him. Uh, I, th- I think she's initially looking through one of his action magazines and then she puts it down and picks up a uh, Harper's Bazaar or something. I think we're, we're sh- that she's on the cover of. Yeah. <laughs> and the curtains close, you know, the curtains uh, come down on the the movie, the end, and it's ah, it's so fucking good. It's just it's mm. you know it's yeah. Um, discussing it, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't catch my first time watching it. Uh, and you know, I I think I think this does succeed better than Rope does. I think you're right there. Yeah, I love it so much, and it, it is one that is so rewatchable because there's so many details and so many little character things to watch for that it's it's rich. For its rewatching, mm-hmm. that, that's sort of what what makes something a, a really five star movie to me. Something that makes it just perfect. That there's just so much, uh, there, there's so much that you can play with. There's so much to think about. So much to sort of dig into with uh, every element of it. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I love how they use the apartment as kind of like, it, or the the. The windows, rather, is sort mm. of like a split screen so that you can mm. see multiple stories happening at the same time. Like the cops and comment on just upside. Yeah. But yeah, the, the cops are appearing and uh, it's just uh, all of these other things happening around them. The two different crises taking place at the same time, of course. And and yeah, the overall message still manages to be like, hey, grow up. Be a creepo who hears <laughs> Yeah, basically. Yeah. Hey, hey, men, grow up. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's so good. Uh, Grace Kelly is unbelievable. She she uh, is amazing. She just steals every scene she's in. So good, just absolutely perfect. And like, I love Jimmy Stewart. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But she does outclass him. <laughs> oh yeah, very it's much. unbelievable. She's just so good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, next in that set is The Trouble with Harry, or did you want to choose a different one for the next one? Uh, you said Vertigo was your other favorite one, right? Correct, probably and it's also or... the other one, you know, not even probably, definitely. Those, okay. They're the two. <laughs> uh, Vertigo is kind of typically viewed as his greatest work, and I'd say probably is. It's so strange and interesting it's another jimmy stewart one uh it's this thing where he has vertigo you know he's a cop who has vertigo so he's he's a very severe reaction anytime he's high up it's a really severe fear of heights (laughs) and he gets involved in this case where he's trailing this woman uh for this guy and it's again it's a voyeurism thing and it's him following this lady around and he's sort of become fascinated with her from a distance. And then uh, it, it, there, there's all this stuff that suggests that she's haunted. Like she feels she's 
a reincarnation of a past life and that she's headed for some sort of danger, but uh, something seems kind of off about it. And then ultimately she seems to jump off a tower to her death. And obviously he can't save her because he can't go all the way up to the stairs. You know, he has a big vertigo attack. Right, right. Okay. And then, you know, a little bit of time passes and he sees this lady who looks eerily like her. And he Uh starts getting involved in her life and starting to maybe get her to dress more like her because he's kind of maybe interested. Like he's sort of fallen in love with this other woman. So he wants to make her be the other woman. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, And it might be that she actually is the other woman. Maybe. Okay. Because she's played by the same actress. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, very complex, very interesting. A lot of like the the psychosexual stuff and the there's the voyeurism there's the doubles you know hitchcock's all about uh doubles and doppelgangers you know there's a ton of it in this mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean it, it's yeah it's so fucking cool all right. uh so that that one is later in the set uh the, i know the next one is trouble with harry which is one of his rare comedies like just a it's a comedy movie okay you know what maybe maybe that one can be the next one that we do when you know, when we get back to this box, because I to add it next to the stack. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to see his a Hitchcock yeah, just, comedy. Yeah, he did a few. Uh, he, he did. There's also Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Uh, no relation to the Brad Pitt, Angelina <laughs> Jolie film. This is a screwball <laughs> comedy. Oh, OK. <laughs> this one, it's uh, I, I think it was Audrey Hepburn's first film, which is cool. Oh. She's just totally adorable in it, as I recall. All right. And uh, he. It's there. It's this small town, like this really remote little mountain town. And there's a dead body. There's this guy, Harry. The The problem with him is the trouble with Harry is that Harry is dead. And it's a really inconvenient dead body because everybody thinks they might have been involved. And <laughs> you like all of these people. They're, they're all very lovable and sweet and weird. And you don't want any of them to go to jail. <laughs> so everyone's like. Oh man, we got to do something with this dead body. I mean, it, it might have been me. I don't know. Who, <laughs> did, did I do it? Because there's a guy who was hunting in the woods, and they find this dead body. He's like, "Did I accidentally shoot that guy? Oh no!" <laughs> oh god. All right. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's a pretty good time. It's uh, one I've always really enjoyed. Cool. So uh, we'll we'll add that one to the stack, unless you want to. Like, I could totally do Vertigo. It's like again, that movie is a fucking masterpiece. Sure, um, but no, let's let's do this one. Uh, Continue on. Trouble, yeah. trouble with Harry, or the trouble with Harry, yeah. Because I mean, I was already sold, and then he said it's Audrey Hepburn's first role, so it, yeah. all right, yeah. I, I had such a crush on her back in the day, uh, and I, it's the movie that did it because it's probably like I saw that, and then there's Green Mansions where she plays a bird lady, which is really weird. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like she's like a bird hybrid woman. Oh, what? All right. Yeah, very obscure. Uh, I think it's Anthony Perkins is a jungle explorer and he falls in love with her. Weird movie. (laughs) So any last thoughts on Rear Window before we move on to our second feature? Yeah, look, if you're looking in my window, I'm sorry for what you saw. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, don't don't look in my windows. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if someone looks in my windows, I'm just smoking a bong most of the time. <laughs> I, I do walk past the, the front window with the bong. I, I did that today. Uh, <laughs> but 
you know, if I'm doing anything private, it's in a basement room without windows that my neighbors are looking into. <laughs> yeah, different time. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, on to part two. And we are back for part two, where we're talking about Highway Racer, uh, original title Poliziato Sprint, an Italian uh, Poliziotaschi picture by director Stelvio Massi from 1977. Basically, uh, 70s Italian, the Fast and the Furious. Very, very Fast and the Furious-esque. You know, you got a lot of the same plot, but drawn out in a different fashion where, you know, that one starts pretty early into the undercover plot the undercover plot in this one comes up in like the last 20 minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> well the undercover plots yeah no you're right <laughs> they come up with it in the last 20 minutes and it unravels in the last 10 yeah it's more just there's a rivalry you got the hotshot current driver who really wants to be the hotshot old driver who's retired versus the Hacha villain driver who is supposed to be retired but secretly isn't. <laughs> but everybody knows. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's like he comes in to say, I definitely didn't do the robberies that you're currently looking for from these specific banks. I don't know anything about them. He's like, ha, ha, I, I hear you guys are looking for me. Uh, it wasn't me who did it. Uh, you know me, who, who you've worked with, who you've busted like 50 times in the past and doing very similar crimes. Yeah, I wasn't involved. I just thought I'd come clear that up. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, just say hi. We're friends. Aren't we all buddies? It, it does have that thing that kind of doesn't exist in modern policing, I guess, where there is the friendship. I, I mean, I guess it, it there there is a degree of it on the beat, because you, you see that in The Wire, for instance, mm-hmm. where where you have the, the sort of camaraderie, but is the sort of thing that we talked about quite a bit with K. de Orfez, with uh, that police officer and his more comradely approach to uh, the the various potential criminals in his orbit. He's like, well, I have a lot I could learn from them. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's my buddy uh, Pablo. Pablo, don't do murder again. Gotta stop that. I might have to actually put you in jail one of these times, Pablo. You really got to just kill the right people. Uh, you got to get together that special karate hit squad. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, so our main hero is Marco Palma, who I love because he spends like the first five minutes talking himself up to be like the greatest hot shot ever. And he fucking sucks. He blows it. He's not very good. It's much like... In uh, Fast and Furious, oh, well, both Fast and the Furious and the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift in particular. But there, there's a bit of it in the first one where he has to learn how to do various elements of the racing because he's just too, I got to just go through things. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, of course, number three is the one that really sends it home for me. That's the Tokyo Drift one where... He's just like blown straight through everything because he has no capability of tight turning. Like it's just <laughs> something he has no ability to do whatsoever. So people have to yeah. train him in the art of Tokyo drifting. <laughs> he, and it uh, feels like he, that. Oh yeah, it's a, a lot like that. He has to learn a whole bunch of different things that he's because he doesn't really have a whole lot of skill. No, he just knows how to 
put the gas pedal down to make the car go fast. He knows he likes <laughs> racing cars, and he knows it's important to him, but he doesn't really know how to do it. He's not very good at it. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it's, it's weird. The, the thing he's really good at is shooting a gun, but it's not really his main interest. <laughs> so we don't even hear about it until really late in the movie. Yeah, yeah, when when it looks like it's going to be part of the training montage, and then he just aces it. It's like, oh yeah, no, I always just kind of knew how to do this. Well, it's it's a fun thing, because then he gets to train the trainer a little bit. He's like, <laughs> here, I'll show you how to do better for yourself. And meanwhile, the trainer's like, oh, I was just doing fine. Okay, well, I've improved a little bit, thank you. Yeah, he appreciates it. He's, yeah. He's the reasonable one. Yeah, he's just understandably very grumpy and sick of Palma's shit. He's got such a great name, the the actual actor, uh, Giancarlo Sbragia. Oh. S-B-R-A-G-I-A. Sbragia. I love that name. Um, I don't recall what his character's name is. I have it written down much, much it's, later. It's Taliaferri. Taliaferri. Uh, uh, T-A-G-L-I-A-F-E-R-R-I. -R -R -I. Taglia, I think it would be a Talia. Usually you leave out the G, you don't, it's not a hard G. Talia Ferry. Ta Talia, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, first name, Marichialo. Now that, that I doesn't come up a lot. No. <laughs> but Taglia Ferry is usually how he's referred to. Mm hmm So he, yeah, he's the captain who's just completely sick of Palma shit. He is the former uh, loose cannon who got results. Uh, who, but... from my understanding, is kind of based on a real dude. Oh? Yeah, th this guy who was a, a, a an actual notable Italian police uh, racing car driver. His name was Armando Spatafora, and he did have a Ferrari car uh, to chase, police, uh, chase criminals with. Cool, <clears throat> cool. Because, uh, yeah, the 70s and crime in Italy was pretty nuts, apparently. <laughs> it was just sort of a really wild time. And that's sort of what all of these Poliziotaschi movies were in reaction to. It was sort of a, what's going on with crime right now? They're, they're sort of like the 90s uh, American ones, the, the urban crime apocalypse, like stuff like Falling Down and uh, Boys in the Hood and stuff. Right, right. Um, so we begin... <laughs> Just with the actor's name, who, oh, I didn't write that down either, and him talking about how he's going to be a legend in a year just because he's so good at cars. And to Palma, that's Maurizio Merli. This is the first of, like, six pictures he did with this director. Oh, cool. So there's more of him. There's a whole bunch, yeah. I like the actor, even if the character is insufferable. Yeah, he's fun. Uh, he, he's got a charm. He's good at playing the swagger that is totally deflatable like he <laughs> he's a guy who totally believes in his own bullshit and you walk around and watch him believing in his own bullshit and not playing it like he is a dope like it it would be very easy to kind of play into the humor of it and like he is just every minute he's living his bullshit but uh <laughs> even when he is completely ruining everything when he is like being told off correctly <laughs> he he kind of uh reminds me of a like a reverse Brian Bosworth from Stone Cold, uh, whereas Bosworth's whole thing was, I'm the best there is, but also I don't wanna. Or, yeah, this guy wants to. He, he really wants, wants to. to. Doesn't He's matter what he, he wants to do, he just wants to. Yeah, he's got that golden retriever energy. He really wants to do it. He's very excited when his trainer wants him. Like is is, you know, he he's, he lives for the praise. 
But yeah. he's also like, you know, he'll he'll really be sulky and, and pretend he doesn't need it. Yeah, and he's very like, oh, no, they they don't want me to be a loose cannon because they're worried I'm going to be better than them. When right. No, it's because he just destroys everything. Well, it's because he's a menace to society. He's absolutely very dangerous. He won't listen to orders. And he's not good enough to be that guy yet. Yes. That, that's sort of the key thing is he has the attitude of that guy, but he doesn't have anything to back it up with yet it's so weird mm-hmm. and as he's going off on his whole rant his partner who has heard it all before and i don't think the partner even gets a name this poor fucker uh, he has some kind of name i can't remember though okay it's sadly not important he's basically saying no you're you actually suck just be a normal cop don't do all this Everybody, he wants to, but everyone else is like, I wish you wouldn't. Well, he's he's sort of a Serpico type in that he wants to do his specific thing. Like, he joined yeah. the police with an extremely specific purpose, and it's it's totally like, I'm not going to wear a uniform and walk the beat again. That that just isn't me. I, I can't mm-hmm. do that. Uh, and he, he sort of is that guy, but his it, it's much less realistic Ultimately, like Serpico's like, yeah, I, I want to be an undercover guy. There's so many undercover jobs that can be done. This guy's like, I only want to be a race car driver for the police. <laughs> and it's like, we don't really want you doing that. We don't want anybody doing that. <laughs> like, no, nah, no, nah, it's definitely my calling. It's like, maybe you yeah. be an actual race car driver then, dude. No, but if I'm a race car driver for the police, then I can race without consequences. Well, you can street race. Also, you know, I can kill people. Oh, yeah. Although that uh, doesn't seem to be a great interest of his. He He's no. not much of a gun-happy cop. He's very good with the gun, and he doesn't really ever use it. No, he only uses it to incapacitate time, people. Right? He, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't kill with the gun. He doesn't even come close to killing anyone with the gun. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, his monologue is interrupted mercifully, or perhaps not so much, uh, by a call about, I don't know, th- this isn't a bank robbery. I'm not sure what this call is about, but it's some seemingly unrelated kids in a car. Shoot, I didn't write it down if they were dangerous driving or what. But anyway, they got to go chase them. Yeah, there, there's a whole street race. I, I want to comment on his attire. So when he's doing his whole speech, He's very hero-dressed up. He's got the pompadour. He's got the leather jacket. He's got the fucking mirrored sunglasses. Yeah, like the the white undershirt, the blue jeans. (laughs) Classic Euro cop. Uh, I've seen this style in a whole bunch of movie posters in different European cop movies. Like, I have seen Jean-Paul Belmondo in this exact attire. (laughs) While we're on the topic of movie posters, the one for this is great. There's a few, and they're all great. The, the one I'm thinking of is he's just, like, sitting on... I it's think just it's a pile of cars. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all these cars. They're at, I think they're at the bottom of the Spanish Steps, which we do see at that one great scene with the rolling car <laughs> going down the long, long steps. Very famous <laughs> monument, the Spanish Steps. Uh, some, some great car action in this, too. But, yeah, so just, like, a pile of just ruined, upside-down, crashed cars... And he's there with his, like, cop who did a victory pose looking at the camera. Yeah, he's he's really happy. He's looking great. And there's just, like, people 
in the upturned cars looking. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Uh, yeah. There's also one that's just the the Ferrari on two wheels running down and his face like a floating head in the background with a big grin. <laughs> that one's kind of cute, too. I love it. So one thing I noticed about this movie that I had no idea about is that they use CCTV, which I didn't think was invented until like the 80s. That was a surprise to me, too. I guess this is 77, so I suppose maybe it's pretty new at the time. Like I said, there was this huge crime explosion in uh, Rome around this area. So I guess it's just like they got into these methods a little bit earlier to combat that. I guess. And we see them use it here. It's actually kind of cool. It looks like uh, like the Death Star, um, the Rebels battle station where they're fighting the Death Star. They've got like that plastic screen thing. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say Death Race 3000, which is also kind of a, a, a an appropriate adjunct. It's like them reporting on all of the footage of the slaughter racing. <laughs> oh, it is pretty similar to that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So Palma and his uh, poor, unlucky partner are chasing after this car. The The partner the whole time is ranting like, oh, my God, one of these days you are going to kill me. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. He is right. He's not like B, where it's like, one of these days I'm going to kill a man. It's like, you're going to kill me one of these days. I, it's absolutely going to happen. Uh, and uh, he, he like, shits his pants during all of this. And he's like, yeah. he's like, are you shitting your pants? He's like, I already have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's got, like, his his hand above his chest like he's going to have a heart attack. And I imagine this is every day for this man. It does seem to be the case. And, like, he just keeps being put with Palma, and he hates it. And yep. it's just like he knows Kama is going to get him killed. And the worst part is uh, I made a joke that he was like five days from re- retirement, but he is actually five days from being promoted into a desk job. Yeah, he's getting out of it because he can't deal with Palma anymore. <laughs> yep. As they're chasing after this car, uh, the car does a co- I don't fully understand what happened here because, you know, I'm not good at car physics. It kind um, of brake checks him essentially. Yeah. Like it, it, it. They pretend to brake, like they, they tap the brakes, but have the accelerator still going and trick him. So he brakes wrong, and he, he just fucking rolls the car, and they speed off laughing. And yeah, the the Tedley Ferry is like, man, that is the most basic shit. Like these are just random kids, and they could do it. Why can't you? This is supposed <laughs> to be your calling. This is your passion. What's wrong with you? And, and the whole time, Palma's like, "No, I need a faster car." And Telly Ferry is like, "Yeah, no, you don't. You need a faster brain." Yeah, exactly. It's like it's not the car. Like it's absolutely <laughs> not the car. It's you. <laughs> it's you. As they're loading him into an ambulance. Oh yeah, he's got this shitting and grin he's in the leather jacket and he's like it, it's he's he's doing the paint me like one of your french girls pose on this uh, yeah. journey as he's being lifted <laughs> in the ambulance berating his superior officer that he should get a ferrari like his superior officer once had because it would make him a better driver if he had a better car and meanwhile the partner also gets into the ambulance like with a head injury he's like you did this to me yeah, like this is this is the result of your bad driving. Don't you see this? <laughs> and Palma's like, like, no, I need a faster car. That's definitely the problem. He's like LB Jeffries, just surrounded by all of these windows that uh, show he's wrong. He's like, no, 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I don't get it. You're wrong. He has like the passionate line. I joined the police to drive and that's what I'll do. <laughs> Which is crazy. I don't believe that. Who who joins the police to be a race car driver? It's total insanity. That, that's like, to me, the real defining moment in the movie is like, really? How? Wow, this is such a strange character. Yeah. It would be believable if he joined uh, if he joined the bad guy team who are really just robbing banks for fun. Yeah, well, yeah, it is believable when he seems to do that as a as an undercover guy. Uh, although his girlfriend kind of blows up his spot. It's just <laughs> that again they they could have marketed this in America as race car Serpico because it just it doesn't make sense. It's just crazy <laughs> decision for him to make. <laughs> like him reaping the spoils of that strange decision. Uh, we have a very short scene, actually so short that nothing even really happens in it. Uh, introducing our villain, Mr. I didn't catch his first name because I'm bad with foreign language, but Docena, also known as Il Nizardo, the legendary. Really primarily known as Il Nizardo. Yeah, he's like legendary bad car guy. Well, he and the as and Talia Ferry, the two of them had this long-running, famous rivalry where uh, he would just keep getting busted by Talia Ferry over and over and over again. Yep, yep. He's like, oh no, no, I was actually running circles around Talia Ferry. No, if you actually look at the numbers, I caught you more times than you got away. Yeah, I mean, like I arrested you like 19 times. You spent a lot of different time in jail. I don't know. I don't really call that a loss, brother. <laughs> Yet somehow he's like free now after being arrested for armed robbery like 19 different times. They just like, well, he did a sentence. What can we do? I mean, that's really how it is in a lot of places. <laughs> that's kind of how the, the sentencing works. Uh, that's not unlike Canada's sentencing. Really, the only place wow. that has the sort of over sentencing, the, the punitive mm -hmm. sentencing would be the U.S., yeah, where it's not so much we want you to learn from your mistakes. It's more like we don't want you to be in society anymore. Yeah, and there, there, I like I hear a lot of arguments for that in other places, but it seems to work better the other way. I mean, it depends on the crimes. It but... really does. Um, there's <laughs> there's some people in Canada who are free that shouldn't be. Yeah, you know, it always does go both ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some people incarcerated in Canada who also shouldn't be. Um, a lot yeah, of those. Anywhere. Probably a lot more of those. <laughs> Pretty much everywhere. That, uh, that's why the death penalty is scary. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, yeah, oh, that, let's not get into that here, maybe. How about... <laughs> uh, or, or I'll go into a big rant. Hey, let's uh, check in with Palma's girlfriend. One of maybe the worst car salesperson ever. Well, we have no idea. She doesn't exist. She's like, she's supposed to, like, her character is she is girlfriend and she exists yes. to make a mistake later on in the movie. And she doesn't really have any other character than that. And she is so much a satellite of Palma as a character that she works in a car dealership where she sells really hot luxury cars that he really yeah. wants but can't afford to get because he just has a cop's salary. And he's also bad at it and keeps getting suspended from work, obviously. He's like <laughs> keeps rolling the only car that he's willing to work in, uh, etc. You know, he's he's trashing his vehicles and what else is he gonna do? He's not gonna walk the beat. He literally has refused. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm not gonna wear a uniform and solve crimes and walk. 
So he goes to see his girlfriend every time he like screws up, and that's pretty much the only <laughs> time he sees her. And yep. it's it's always like her with a customer who's trying to work, and he shows up and he just like wants to talk about cars and how he's the best and how racing is important to him and how he's gonna be the best someday. And uh, that's it. Like she she yep. doesn't exist. Uh, no, it's, she it's, doesn't. It's not it, she she doesn't have any of the uh, uh, frame of reference that we get for uh, Grace. <laughs> no, um, I like you're right. She doesn't have a personality. I basically made one up for her is that she's the uh, she's the adult version of the 16 year old who works at Dairy Queen, who always uh, runs up from the kitchen whenever her loser ass 18 year old boyfriend shows up and then they then she never does any work. You've I think that's those, I'm sure. Oh, I, I absolutely have. But I think that's totally unfair because she looks pretty put upon when he shows up. Like she's he, she's with a customer and she's like, I'm with a customer. Uh, yeah, but true. he is the one who's it's it's like he's walked behind the counter to hang out with her instead. It's like, oh, oh I don't know what to do with you, dude. <laughs> well, she does often stop what she's doing with the customer to run out to meet him. And and when I say often, I mean in one of the two scenes that she's appears in. Yeah, she does it once. Uh, and we don't really know why, but it's also because he's just weirdly lurking outside. And it's maybe the first time she's seen him in like months since, uh, and it, he's all beat up because he's been in like severe accidents since then. He's like, what's yeah. with you, dude? Yeah. And then she he's doesn't basically... see him again. Yeah. Until, like, she screws everything up because she's like, I don't know what's going on in his life. Can you tell me? <laughs> yeah, basically. So, I, I like, I'm disinclined to read anything against her character because she just seems put upon. Yeah, uh, and that's fair. I mean, we maybe she is great. We don't see anything of a personality from her. We just – she doesn't get a chance to show it because he – his personality suffocates any personality that she could have. Well, he suffocates all personality around him. He is uh, uh, he is a narcissistic central character. Like, he exists to be a main character. He has an opening speech where he's like, I'm the main character, and I am going to be the mainest character that ever were. I'm the protagonist of all reality. Yeah, he's just going for it, and that's, that's who he is. <laughs> yeah, him and the girlfriend are arguing about... I've rewound it a few times trying to figure out what, but I couldn't. Basically, he wants to quit being a cop because I, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, but he—it's the, it, the thing about they don't want him to keep being a hotshot race car driver, and that's all he wants to do as a cop. So he wants to quit, and maybe he'll become a, a robber instead. Maybe he'll just work for the bad guys. You know, they'll <laughs> let me race. <laughs> yeah, he does say that, and she's like, "Well, at least I know you haven't stopped being crazy." Yeah, I'm like, well, you're still you. <laughs> but he even says, like, I'm sick of being the victim all the time. Everyone's always against me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> no reason. I don't know why people just, they just don't like me driving cars for some inexplicable reason. Not the way I drive, obviously. <laughs> Definitely not. So he goes to the mechanic shop. We don't know how much time has passed, but enough that he's fully recovered and he says to the mechanic like hey pimp my ride and the guy's like no yeah he he wants all of these uh all of these enhancements done like dude i can't do that this is a government vehicle because it's a police car <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, 
I'm not going to do that for you. What's in it for me? No, you also you suck. Yeah, I'm a cop mechanic. Everything I do has to be signed in fucking triplicate. But oh no, if you do this for me, it'll give your life meaning because you'll be helping me. Well, it's it's again him arguing about uh, Tagliaferri's past. And it's like, well, he got that great Ferrari, and I don't see me with the great Ferrari. I mean, like, they awarded it to him after he did all of these great deeds, but come on, I'm just <laughs> as good as him. If I, I had the a, car, I would be. <laughs> I should get a Ferrari, too, because I imagine I'm as good as him. He feels that he's now taking his position in the police force, so he should be the guy with that car now. Uh, it, it just, <laughs> he, he's a temporarily embarrassed billionaire, you know? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, he does convince the mechanic to let him go and make his own modifications to the car when the mechanic isn't around. And he's like, I don't want to know. I don't want this to come back on me. Well, at first he, he even says no to that. And like, no, I, I have to, I'm watched here. This is. <laughs> this is this a is police a... garage. Yeah. <laughs> but finally he's like, okay, you know, if if you will shut up and leave me alone, do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want, Palma, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but... <laughs> yeah, which, of course, Palma takes to mean enthusiastic consent. And we have a meeting in the office where Palma's poor partner is being assigned to Palma again. It's like, no, I thought he was recovering in the hospital. Why me? I don't want to die. He says it a couple times. I don't want to die. And I'm going to go out with Palma and I am going to die. And then he goes out with Palma and he dies. He goes out with Palma and he dies. As they're driving out of the garage, the chief is like, Oh my fucking god, Papa, you fucking modded the car, you asshole. Is it this one or the previous one where he tries to go out before everybody else, but he's not, like, he is not close enough and he has to, <laughs> he, like, drives up and then he has to stop and a bunch of other people go by and then he races out, like, it, <laughs> he does a peel out to just, like, show everyone. Is yeah, it this, this one or one. is it the previous? It is this one, okay. It's this one, yeah, after he, because he's... He's sulky because he just got lectured by his hero about, in his mind, like, don't be a hero because you're not, because I'm worried you'll be better than me. Right, which is, but it's, you're not good enough, so you need to chill out until you know what you're doing. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what he says is like, look, you've got the courage to do this shit, but you don't have anything else. Yeah, all, all you've got is guts and guts aren't enough. You gotta have some brains. Like, <laughs> brains, never heard of it. And yeah, yeah, this is when he like peels out, but like he has to wait. It's it's, it's hilarious. It's it's embarrassing. Like it is him just making an absolute utter fool of himself uh, and not being aware that he's making a fool of himself in the slightest. <laughs> we have his partner assembling the sandwich in the car, which is going to be so his weird. last meal. It, it, well, he's not really going to have a chance to eat it. it it's like... He he is like picking all of the peppercorns or pimentos or something out of the meat because he keeps like nibbling at it and like spitting them out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it goes on for quite some time. It's so strange. But um, yeah. and all the while he's like, stop it. Slow down. You're going to kill me. I hate you. What are, what are you doing? The whole ride. Yeah, please just drive like a normal fucking person. We're not even in a chase right now. Why are you doing this? You're like a 16 year old. I fucking hate you. Uh, this poor, poor man. 
So they they this is the first with the actual other guys with uh, yeah. Nazardo and his new new boys his his new racing team. Yeah, this is the first one. Uh, this is the actual armed robbery that they pull. Yeah. So their their thing is, and they use it both times, and it's pretty clever. They have two identical Citroens, and they uh, have them driving parallel to each other in nearby areas. Uh, so that police kind of end up following the wrong one, and then they can sort of switch off to uh, uh, throw everyone off their trail. Yeah, it's a really clever thing. The the cars have identical license plates, and uh, yeah, it's it's really neat because because the they'll like disappear around the corner, and then the other car will be spotted somewhere else, and the radio will be like, "All right, everyone, uh, somehow get to the other side of town immediately." And, and like, it's not possible that it's there. That doesn't make sense. And they're like, huh, well, something's weird. Yeah. We but... maybe have some false reports. And uh, the they're, they're also, like, supercharged. I love that they're these tiny little 60s and 70s European cars, which are so little and boxy. They're, like, Citroens and stuff. And, you know, they they don't look like your average supercar that you would have in one of these races. Like, you compare it to Fast Five and those, like, big fucking thunder dicks that just drive through everything. These are just these tiny little cars, but they drive like crazy. They're super fast. They're, they're the other thing that they have like, over those fast five cars is they're agile. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. In and out of traffic. And these car chases are not shy about having Lots of people on the road. streets. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're very full street. Like it's actual Roman streets. None of this is filmed on sets. Uh, the they just do in real car stunts and actual car chases all over real places in Rome, including like the Spanish Steps. It's rad, actually. Like it's all of so the cool. all of the police action, all of the car chase action is great. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately for our bad guys, uh, Hot Shot Palma is on the case. Uh, no, it's fortunately for them. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> the unfortunate was sarcastic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he's chasing, he's chasing the one guy and he just won't let him go while Talia Ferry is calling everybody off because too many cop cars have been wrecked and too many civilian cars too. So it's like, look, this, this chase isn't worth doing anymore. Someone's going to get seriously hurt. Right. And this is a period before they have the thing where you just don't do police chases. Police chases are in most places now. It's just, you don't, you don't just don't. Oh. Uh, you, you call it off because it's too dangerous and it, it's just a, a danger to the public. And it's like if you're going to get into a high speed chase, it's like it's better. Like you have the license plate and you know yeah. what type of car it is. You can track this person down. Uh, yeah, that's it, true. It's, <laughs> it's better to not uh, endanger all public safety and just trying to get them immediately. Yeah, yeah good I, I didn't know that there was a no police chase thing anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, there there are places that still do it, but a lot of places that's how you're supposed to handle it because it's just not worth uh, endangering the public safety. Yeah. But of course here, it's just a thing where, you know, everything's going wrong and they're, they've already lost one of them completely. And it's just, yeah. this is fruitless at this point. We are uh, causing so much damage for really very little return at this point. We we can't actually get these guys. Like, you may be able to stop one car. You're not going to stop the other car. These guys are still getting away for the most part. It's just, n- now you're just following your own shit. You're, you're not doing anything for the police anymore. Yeah, but Palma's like, no, 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 I'm going to catch him. Well, and... he, he's, he can still see him. 
So he yeah. thinks, no, I, I'm definitely going to catch this guy. And he basically does the same. Well, he, he does a variation on what happened to him earlier. Yeah. Uh, it's a cooler trick. It's a cooler trick because we see we get to see the bad guy do a cool trick first. Uh, he tips his car like up on two wheels to get through this uh, this like stone barrier. And just for just for coolness points, the bad guy's henchman, uh, his number two guy, Pistone, jumps up out the passenger door and like shoots. It doesn't hit anything, but it just looks really cool. I'm not sure. He may actually have shot uh, the partner. We oh, don't know sure. how the partner died. We just know that in this thing, he shoots at him and then the car rolls and crashes and blows up. So he may have shot the partner as well. He might have. Um, but the partner's so yeah. fucking dead. This is like partner rip right here. Yeah, yeah, no, partner is dead. Palma attempts to replicate the trick, but he can't do it. He flips the car. Uh, we see Palma getting loaded into an ambulance again, and uh, the yeah, the paramedics just put cover. Jeez, cat. Uh, they cover the partner's uh, face with the sheet, and he is dead, just yeah. like he said he would be. Palma's uh, Palma's broken up about this briefly you know him fucking trying to replicate a trick that he saw someone do uh, and immediately crashing and failing and exploding killing someone is sort of him in a bubble like it it is (laughs) him in a nutshell it is exactly the the definitive moment of his character where it's just he's like well i can do that yeah i'm gonna do that and so he he does it and it just results in fiery destruction he gets out his like how did that not work? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically his thing. And he's, I, I don't think he's broken up about the partner. I think he's broken up about having been wrong. Yeah. That it didn't work. It's like, I, I don't know how I didn't pull that off. I'm the greatest. Am I yeah. not the greatest? He's shaken. Yeah. And Talia Ferry's like, well, hey, I fucking told you to stop. Now you're going to have to stop for a long ass time. Yeah, yeah. Suspended again. Whatever. I always get suspended. But yeah, great stunt, though to get to get through that barrier most of the in my notes most of the stunts i've just described with little pictures because i don't really know how to put them into words but they're cool mm. we have a scene that i don't really understand the purpose of where palma meets with this priest uh, after being suspended but then he doesn't tell him anything he's like what's wrong palma nothing nothing's going on with me why are you asking because you're seeing me for the first time in 13 years. Oh, well, maybe mind your own business. I'm, I don't really understand the point of this scene because the priest doesn't come back again. Well, I, I, I priest, uh, the, the, the church is pretty important in Italy. Uh, really, really significant in people's day-to-day lives, certainly back in the 70s. I, I would say it's just a, an illustration of his character that he hasn't gone to see a priest in many years and he goes to see him again specifically to just continue to not tell him anything and just, <laughs> it, it shows how incredibly pig-headed he is that he like he still hasn't gotten past anything like he's had this experience where he killed someone by not being able to do the things that he thinks he can do and it still hasn't gone through to him he yeah, still like he, can't go to his priest and confess because he still doesn't see anything that he's done wrong do you have anything to confess no no, nothing comes to mind. No, no dead partners. Yeah, no, he died somehow. Well, no, it's nothing like, I gotta confess. Like the point is that he is shaken enough to at least go see the guy. 
Yeah. It's just, oh, okay. He still doesn't have anything. Like he he still can't reach out. You know, it's a uh, the you know men will literally kill their partner in a fucking flaming car wreck before going to therapy. Mm, okay. That okay. That that makes it all make sense. Meanwhile, we've got our villains uh, doing another robbery, but this time Palma's off the road, so they just get away with it. The Dahlia Ferry is able to predict their moves, but their guys just aren't good enough to catch them. Well, yeah, he knows all the playbook because he is the guy. Like, he, yeah. it's the same guy he always uh, fought against, and it's where he starts to, like, this kind of seems like my dude. This seems like Il Nazardo. I He's just doing this again. Yeah, and it's it's actually right around here where Il, Il Nazardo comes in. He's like, hey, no, it's actually not me doing these robberies. Well, because he's already brought in an informant who is telling them that he's like, well, I don't really know what's going on yet, but I can look into it. And he he's going to send this guy to go look into him. And then, uh, hey, boss, Il Nazardo's here. And like, oh, shit, like you better get out of here before he sees you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. They sneak the informant out through the back way. It's like, yo, you can't be seen here. But yeah, they reminisce about old times like, hey, remember when we did this cool thing? Yeah, and I caught you. Yeah, you did. He's like, but, yeah, I caught you every time. Not like, every time, every just time. just most of them. But uh, hey, I'm just saying, whoever these bank robbers are, definitely not me. Uh, you're only going to catch them when they're sitting on their horses. Yeah, it's like you, you will not catch them uh, unless you get them on the road. Like, you, you have to stop them while they're driving or you're you're out of luck. Uh, it, it is kind of also obviously him just saying, it is me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you it's me, but it's me. And you're not going to catch us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, if he wasn't completely confident in his plan, he wouldn't have bothered coming here to basically gloat. So uh, so they got a plan. Teleferi's like, I... I know what we're going to do. We're going to get a guy on the inside. I have to train him a lot, but we'll have work. to rebuild the old Ferrari. It's like, you still got that? And like, yeah, it's a piece of junk now. It's just been sitting in a garage. I'm like, well, I'll rebuild it personally. I'll, I'll get it working. I'll rebuild the car and I'll rebuild Palma. They both need just a complete fucking refurbishing from the ground up. And that's what he does. Yeah. He makes it his project. Yeah. But then he goes to see to his desk and he sees Palma's like two week notice on his desk because Palma has decided he's going to quit and become a criminal instead, which is perfect. Yeah. He's like, well, we're going to get you to pretend that you're a criminal and join the crime gang. So in obviously the Fast and Furious version of this, it's where you have that uh, tension between him actually wanting to join the criminals and maybe kind of seeing the value of that lifestyle. You don't really have that element here because it's mm -hmm. him. Kind of is like the 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 guy comes to him and it's like no we do want you to be the big race guy and we're going to give you the Ferrari that you've always wanted and he has just the biggest shit eating grin ever it's like he's he's gotten his parents have announced he's been taken to Disneyland uh, he's, <laughs> oh I, 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 everything's so wonderful and he mentions the the two week notice again. And he's like, do you want me to tear this up? And like, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it takes like half a second to convince him to uh, go on this job. He you're doesn't like, even have to say this thing. Like, no way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, Everything hey. I've ever wanted. Sure. <laughs> so we get the fixing and training montage. Yeah, pretty which... elaborate. His his training is pretty cool. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, 
first we see them fixing up the Ferrari. And, and I like this bit where he asks him, he's like, hey, why are there these completely uniform uh, marks every eight inches down down this axle? And Tally oh, Perry yeah. just reminisces. Flashbacks. Flashes back to this time he like chases Nizardo down this staircase in his car. This it's is like the this, Spanish steps. Yeah. And it's just like this solid minute of this car just rolling down these stairs. It's just. <laughs> this was there was a real uh, famous police chase where this happened in the 60s in Rome. Oh, shit. Cool. Like a car just fucking tumbled down the Spanish steps. And I think it was one of this uh, Armando Svatafora's things. So apparently that's where some of this stuff comes from. But yeah, it's it's such a great bit of just the car rolling and rolling. It's it's him almost having this romantic reverie of his, uh, <laughs> his classic youth. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that the scene just seems to linger a little bit longer than it should. It just, it's really quite the perfect flashback. We have no context for how they got there. It's just car falling downstairs. Well, these characters are all L.B. Jeffries, you know, and they're they never got the Grace Kelly. So every time they think of romance, they're thinking of just cars rolling down hills or, you know, cars rolling over and bursting into flames. They're they're thinking of the action, not of women and romance. That's why Francesca doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Except as, uh, <laughs> you know, as an in, as a. As a problem, like she she exists only to make things hard. Yeah, um, she well, she blows up the whole plan before it can even really get underway. Well, it's pretty well underway. It's just like right at the last moment uh, she she stops it from working. Yeah. Uh, after the fixing up of the car montage, we get the training montage where first he. Uh, slaloms by going directly through the hay bales and not really attempting to avoid them at all. So to be fair, it's really tight. The turns are extremely tight. He has to do a whole bunch of cornering through all of these hay bales, and he's just not good enough. He's he's really not good at this at all. Yeah, Talia Ferry, like, has has this whiteboard, and he's like... It reminds me of like this Gran Turismo 2 tutorial where it's like, now you have to have your car go exactly on this line. And when you reach this part of this line, you push your accelerator down this hard and you let your brake up um, in montage form. But, but but he's explaining how basically how to turn good. And we slowly see him get better because, you know, montage. I like the Tagliaferri coming into this. It's like uh, him just being like head down fucking fingers on the bridge of his nose. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you don't know how to turn tightly. This is like the basic shit. Like the thing with the guy break checking you earlier. Uh, what the <laughs> hell are you doing? man? Uh, like it, it's him being pissed. Like again, him at the whiteboard. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to take you to a whiteboard and actually show you how to do this in a classroom. Cause you're so stupid. <laughs> it's, it's him now being the like, red light this means is, I'm so mad. I'm so, so sick of this. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, and it's through this montage that we see that Palma had, I mean, we already knew, but we understood, stand through this montage, just how much Palma has no claim to this hotshot position he believes he's entitled to. Although it's weird because when the upper up guy says, well, what the hell are we going to do? And he's like, well, I have this plan. We're going to get the old car out of mothballs and we're going to race them down. And it's like, well, do we have any drivers who are good enough? It's like, well... I have a guy I could build up, <laughs> but it is 
Palma that he goes to. Palma is yeah. the guy he immediately thinks of, and it's like, he's the guy who's got the guts to do it if I give him the knowledge to work with. I think a little part of it is just in the back of everyone else's mind and why they're okay with it is if Palma dies, who cares? I suppose, like, but it, it's very much not a, just, he's, Ferry, but no, he's just the guy. Uh, he, he's, he's the obvious main character in the midst. Mm-hmm. Partway through the montage, he's like showering. He's like, I give up. It's too hard. And Talia Ferry's like, you can't fucking give up. You talked yourself up so much for years. I'm going to make you fucking do this. It is absurd that there is a point where he's like, I give up. I can't do this. It's never going to work. I, there's no way I figure this thing out. Because, like, he picks up the cornering thing right away. The problem is it's the two-wheel thing that is just, you yeah. can't get it. Because, uh, I mean, that's a tough trick. There's it not a lot of people hard. who can do that trick. It's so hard. I mean, I've never even attempted it, and I never will. But no, yeah. of course not. No, it's legendarily difficult. It's it's one of those things that I remember. There, there's, like, only a few stunt drivers who knew how to do it. Uh, and the, like I, I remember watching a documentary about it in one of the Bond movies. I think it's Diamonds Are Forever where they do that. Oh. But they screw it up and they have a weird edit in the middle and it comes out on a different two wheels. It's on <laughs> oh, the right. other side when it comes out. Weird. But yeah, Talia Ferry like pep talks and he's like, yeah, well, in my day, I haven't done anything by half. And Palma's like, well, I have. It's like, I have. Don't you realize that I suck? Hasn't all of your experience with me previously led to that decision? And he says, well, you know what? You've got the guts, though. You can be a champion. And He's got the heart of a champion. Little brother. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Palma's like, "Uh, really? Uh, Why don't you say that again? No. So we've got the montage done. He's good at cars now. He's learned how to uh, do basic stuff and advanced stuff. And maybe he's good at doing the two-wheel thing. And now it's time for the firing range, where he just shows up Talia Ferry completely. Although he does have to put on some really stupid elaborate glasses, which look fucking ridiculous. They look like something from an early 90s movie. (laughs) They they look like what you'd wear if you were like a jewel appraiser. Well, they, they look like what you wear when you're a hacker in a 90s movie. Oh, they totally look like hacker glasses. They're like, they, they have all these extra little bits that, you know, you can swivel in and out. It, yeah, I mean, they, they probably are based on a jewelry appraiser sort of thing. But, yeah, they're, they're absurd. They're so ridiculous. And they're his specialized shooting glasses. But, hey, he's really good. He, he is really good. He, he basically he gets all headshots and then he's able to help Telia Ferry be better at guns. He's like, no, 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 just raise it up like this. Okay, now you got it. He's like hate that you're better than me at this, but you want to be in cars. Uh, they they get a new identity for him. Uh, he's something, something Moreno who just got out of jail. He was doing deliveries and stuff, but he got caught. So that was the end of that. But he met some guys there. And yeah, and, you, you know, know, just some basic backstory friend. that doesn't yeah. exist. He's yeah. uh, going to try and get into uh, Mazzardo's gang because they probably need more race drivers. And he's like, hey, we know who the guy is who's doing it. We know who his underlings are. Just go talk to him. Go get in with them. Yeah, all you got to do is go over there and shoot your mouth off, and they'll come to you. He's like, shoot my mouth off? I'm so good at that. Oh, this is my dream job. Shooting my mouth off and then racing people? <laughs> hey, Man, I don't even want to arrest people. I don't even like being that part of a cop. 
But he doesn't. He never he does doesn't. it in the movie. No, he doesn't. He lets the guy go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what he got into being a cop for. Stopping criminals? <laughs> Racing cars. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we do see him briefly inside his the inside of his apartment is like cars. Oh, yeah, it's it is a teenager's bedroom. He's got posters of cars. He's got all sorts of toy cars. He's just it is uh, all cars all the time. Like, again, this is why he dates a girlfriend who works at a car dealership. She is an accessory. She's not a girlfriend. Yeah, all these cars, all these expensive models and stuff, car magazines and a mattress on the floor. Yeah, mattress on the floor uh, <laughs> amongst car posters. Like it should have been a race car bed. That would have really been the cherry on top. But I don't think they made them yet in 77. If they had made race car beds, he would have one. Oh, I don't know. If, yeah, if they made race car beds in an adult size. Uh, he would get one specially made. Uh, where Yeah, he basically says to the girlfriend like, hey. I'm going to be going away for a while. Um, I'm not going to tell you where or give you any information because you're not. Because who cares? I, I, I don't I don't really uh, need to tell you anything. He's like, I, I, I got to split for a bit, lady. And he's like, oh, you're in town again? <laughs> How are you going to know? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that I'm going undercover and I'm not going to tell you to uh, not acknowledge me if you see me out on the road because I'm in the middle of an undercover thing. I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah, like it's it's totally on him when it, it like first he goes and he sees these other guys and he he gets in with the gang. But later she shows up and she sees him with the dudes and he goes to like make a call and she's like, oh hey, did what's uh was that Palma with you just a second ago? He's like, who? Palma. <laughs> Palma the I, cop. Yeah, isn't he back on the force? Like I've been looking for this dude. What what's going on? I I thought he was out of town. Yeah, it's literally that. That's how she blows it up. And it's so fair. It it like I I, no I blame on her. She's like, what the hell is he doing? I, I, I thought he wasn't in town. He told me he was leaving. And you know, it, it could also be a thing where the previous conversation she'd had with him, he's, he's been talking about, eh, maybe I'll quit the police and join crime. That that might be what I do instead. So she's like, what are you doing? Like, what is it? What's going on here? <laughs> Did you join crime? Are you, are these the crime guys he joined? Yeah. Yeah. No, he tells her nothing. Uh, he does. He did. Yeah. He basically is just like, okay, I'm leaving now. Get out of my bed. Yeah. You're, you're right. She's, she's kind of blameless. She's pretty blameless. So he immediately gets into a pissing contest with one of Nizardo's thugs that when he's hanging out at this like drive-in restaurant or something. Yeah, they got this nice overlook, and they're he he's uh, he's gonna race. Uh, he you know he he gets into a, a enough of a pissing match where he's like, ah, I'm gonna I, I I'm a much better driver than you, and I can prove it. And he's like, all right, we'll do it tonight. And they they decide they're gonna do just a, a race up the coast, right, like along this coastal road. Although it, and it's it's them storytelling for a race that sounds like it's cool that we're never gonna see. Yeah, yeah. The race we actually see is um, they're, they're just racing to see who can get through this archway first. But it's like, but there's a special condition. You have to have the seat all the way back and be lying down. Well, that is, that is Palma's uh, uh, secret thing that like he pulls at the last minute. But like yeah. the idea is they're going to do a whole race uh, circuit all the way around. It's just they're going to be lying down when they do it. It's just the other guy doesn't even get past the doorway. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I thought it was just to get through the archways. Oh, I they're going to do a race. <laughs> they're supposed like this was going to be them doing a race. It's just he uh, set it up so like okay, you take that side, which is a bit wider. I'll I'll give it to you. But yeah. he of course follows uh, the lines of the streetcar where the other guy just didn't know where to look and he crashes into a wall. Yeah, and that's... he really makes fools of both of Nazardo's second and third command dudes. Yeah, yeah. So this was the second command guy. I don't think, or his third this command is, guy. Yeah, this is the third guy because the second in command guy is the one he <laughs> rolls into the trash. Yeah, yeah. So the second guy is like, hey, so you're pretty tough. You beat my guy. Well, you you beat the third. Uh, strongest mole in this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the third strongest mole. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but now you're going to learn the real true power of being third. And it's <laughs> like, okay, we're, we're going to do a thing where we'll pull up and a person who can stop the very closest to the edge of this fucking garbage dump without, you know, <laughs> rolling over into the garbage uh, is the winner. He's like, all right, got another twist for you. It's it's fun how each time there's one of these, he's always like, yeah, I'll do that, but with a twist. <laughs> yeah, this time we got to turn, and it's got to be our back, the back of the car that's closest to the ditch. And the guy, he, he, our our second in command guy, I think this is Pistone, right? This, yeah, this is Pistone. Pistone, and he he gives a look like I don't really get how that works, and he <laughs> he. He shows him, and he he does like a fishtail where he uh, slides so like his whole uh, driver's side is just on the very very edge, and he has to climb out over the top of the car to get out. <laughs> yeah. He's so like, oh, uh, well, I don't know if I can do that, but now I can't back down. <laughs> yeah. So he tries, and he, he goes over it. the edge into the dump. And they and... were racing car for car, which just seems like. Well, now you, well, yeah, how am I going to get that car? It's been rolled down into a garbage dump. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was about the humiliation. Well, and also the guy wasn't going to really uh, give it to him anyway, because we learned not. shortly thereafter, not from Palma's point of view, but from the other guy's point of view, the the, the boss, the Nizardo's like, so whatever happened to that dude? He's like, oh, nothing. I mean, you know, he just punked out. Uh, nothing. I mean, he didn't beat me, obviously. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I put him in his place. That's <laughs> what happened. Nobody saw me do it, but I definitely did it. And then Palma shows up to them at the horse races. <laughs> yeah, I love the bit where he's like looking at Nizardo through binoculars, but he's like three feet away. <laughs> yeah, a very rear window-esque <laughs> moment where <laughs> we, we see all of our uh, bad guys in the, the very close foreground. They're all watching the horse races from the stands and they're all laughing and they're having fun together, being social and being like real people who exist in a social environment. And like yeah. they slightly back up in their seats and it's revealed that <laughs> Palma is there with, you know, shiny mirrored binoculars, just like his shiny mirrored shades, but very much like Jimmy Stewart's uh, great big telephoto lens, just like, very close, not far away, and like just maybe staring seats. straight at them alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like maybe three seats away, if that. Yeah. And like, huh. But they don't see him. Uh, they, they go back out, and his car is parked in behind, like in the street behind all three of their vehicles. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, so he runs out. He's like, oh, my God, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's you, the guy I beat in that garbage dump thing. 
The guy who rolled like, into the trash. How, you know, how would that go for you? I don't, like, know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know you. I've never met you before. And, and Nazardo's like, oh, he's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. Well, I'm going to immediately make friends with you. He's like, ah, you're, you're obviously good. At, well, if he's good enough to beat Pistone. I mean, I know Pistone is a very good driver. And it's like, hey, I could probably use this guy. What are you Pistone talking about? only he didn't, didn't beat me. Oh, yeah, I mean, Pistone clearly only brought didn't bring him there because uh, he was embarrassed by his loss. But yeah. their dynamic, it starts to feel quite a bit like uh, Clint Eastwood and that one uh, suspicious guy in uh, For Your Few Dollars More. Oh, um, oh, shoot, which guy is that? I can't remember. But, like, the, the guy he, he ends up shooting. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he ends up shooting fucking all of them. But there's the one yeah. second in command dude who's really suspicious of him. But oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, the boss there always knew he was <laughs> trying to get them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, although it does look like Nizardo recognizes the Ferrari. It does kind of seem like he might. And it, it seems reasonable that he would. And I guess he just suggests that it like. It's not the same one, but you know, a lot of there are a lot of Ferrari 250 GTs. Those I mean, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, it looks a lot like my rival's car, and I, I do wonder if he's sort of aware of it because he does seem to have this nostalgic romance for his police chases of the past, and this is why he goes back to see Tagliaferri, and she's like, oh, let's restart up the rivalry. That'll be so much fun. This is what I live for. It doesn't seem like he's in it for the robberies. He's in it for the thrills. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's it's like he's doing this for the thrills. Uh, he they say that he makes bank robberies fun. He's doing it for the fun. The bank robberies is just so that people will follow him. Yeah, th- that's to pay off the other guys to uh, do this kind of crazy shit with him. And yeah. in that sense, it is possible that he kind of does suspect that Palma is a cop, but he's sort of into it to just have another cop buddy slash rival that he can <laughs> actually legitimately be buddies with and like they can hang out. And it it is a thing kind of like the uh, tall T where it's like, well, those those young guys, I have not been able to really because uh, we, we saw that earlier scene where they're coming back from the first robbery and he wants to have champagne because, you know, he always had champagne after he defeated Tagliaferri and you know, it was a big deal. And one of the other guys tries to talk shit about him. It's like, no, only I get to talk shit about him. What's wrong with you? I'm yeah. I'm the guy. Uh, yeah. To and the rest of you, he's a man. He just sta- happens to stand on the other side. That's all. Yeah. So he he's sort of it's the same as like Silva and Billy in uh, the tall tees like I don't I can't relate to those guys but this guy Palma I get this guy we could hang out <laughs> yeah I don't care if he's on the other side he's just a man <laughs> he just likes to do crazy car shit I like to do crazy car shit let's just fucking do crazy car shit together because that's sort of what they do for a while without even going into any of the chases. They have almost a romance montage and certainly more of a romance than he has in any way with his girlfriend in the movie. <laughs> um, oh, her name is. Yeah, it's Francesca. <laughs> it's Francesca. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's mentioned exactly once. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they do the thing where he shows he teaches him how to drive a car uh, off a really huge fucking ridiculous jump that would destroy your suspension. You can only go exactly 130 miles per hour. No more, no less. If you fuck it up even a little bit, you're dead. It is when he does that stunt. Uh, obviously, Nazardo does it and pulls it off somehow magically. Yeah. It's the only time Palma is 
impressed enough that he pulls back and doesn't do a stunt. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I'm not doing that one. Whoa, shit. Yeah. And Nizardo's like, well, you have to do 130. No more, no less. And Palma's like, why are you telling me this? Uh, If you have courage, you'll find out one day. And if you don't have courage, then it won't matter if I told you or not. Well, it's it's kind of setting up the ending of the movie in almost the same way as the last quarter mile or whatever thing in Fast and the Furious, which is what they do at the end of that first one where the two of them race the last block or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, th- you know that at the end, they're both going to be going off of this cliff. Yeah, or it, someone's going to be going off that cliff. It, not everyone's going to be surviving that cliff. One way or the other, you know, something's the 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 cliff is waiting for or or some kind of gigantic jump of the same nature has to take place now that we've established this. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just interested in the whole way it feels like a romance between the two of them. <laughs> you need. Oh, my God. Yes. You need courage to take the plunge. There, yeah, completely. Yeah. And it's it's all of this stuff of them. Uh, it's it's the first time that they've been happy and they're they both kind of it uh, they both have everything they want all of a sudden because mm-hmm. uh, uh Nizardo has always been looking for someone he can relate to and do all this racing with and who's just in it for the fun like the, this palma shows up and he is in it for the thrills he wants to do the racing and he's not really all that interested in the bank robberies although he's going to go along for the jobs because that's a thrill yeah and on Palma's side, he's got his Ferrari, he's doing his undercover driving, he's found this dude who loves to do the driving with him, he's like, eh, maybe I don't want to be a cop anymore. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to Paul Walker it up and join Vin Diesel's family over here, maybe. I mean, I'm a pretty loose cannon, so it's hard to say. Because, I mean, in terms of the girlfriend, and it, it does seem telling specifically that it is this girlfriend who doesn't exist, who shows up to blow up his spot between him and his new boyfriend. Yeah. Until that happens, it's not clear that he isn't going to just turn end up with the bad guys. Like, there's nothing telling us for sure that he's actually still going to be with the police until the bus gets blown that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like he gets the information. They, they have a meeting at uh, Nizardo's house. Um, it's this whole thing where Pistone is like, I bet he's a cop. He holds his gun in a different way. And well, yeah, we we see him do the thing where he puts the the he puts his pistol right in the back, uh, right over his butt, which is how police carry their gun. Yeah, in in at least Italy in this period. And he's just like, hey man, there's a perfectly logical explanation for this. I just always held my gun this way, and also you can't prove I'm not the guy I say I am. So ease off, eh? Well, it's it's weird because he almost seems to be challenging him to say, well, yeah, maybe I am a cop. It it, it feels like the the Eastwood thing in for a few dollars more where he's uh, doing the things like, well, I thought maybe I'd just turn you in because <laughs> he he says the thing about the cop. It's like, uh, well, hey, why I notice you uh, hold your gun that way. And it's like, yeah, I've always hold put my gun like that because he, he says like, yeah, that that's how cops hold their guns. And like, yeah. I've always yeah. done it that way. Uh, and like, so you're not really going to say one way or the other that you're not a cop. He, he doesn't, he doesn't say I'm not a cop. He just says, yeah, I've always done that. <laughs> not, like, yeah, you're right. Not That's a true. cop. Yeah. He, he never says anything about like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, on the other side of the lot. He just rolls it. He just keeps agreeing like, yep, yeah, well, that's the way I do it. And like, Hey, if you don't 
if you don't want to trust me, maybe I'll just leave. And Nizardo's like, whoa, hey, whoa, uh, whoa. you absolutely can't you leave. leave now. You know the plan. Yeah, th- there's no leaving. And it, it, they don't tell him what the bank is in advance anyways. So yeah. he can't really uh, prepare them. Yeah, because he's going to be in the decoy car, so he doesn't need to know. It's like, which bank are you robbing? Ah, you'll read about it in the newspaper. Don't worry. Yeah, you don't need to know. You're just here for the thrills, aren't you? Uh, y- yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I kind of am. So the the, uh, the they start the robbery, and it's where you know he pauses at a gas station to try and call in. He's like, well, I think this is where we're heading. That the girlfriend's like, holy shit, it's my missing boyfriend. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, so this is where we've talked about it so much, but, like, she literally goes up to Nizardo and is like, hey, are you friends with my boyfriend, Marco Palma, the cop? Where'd Palma go? I just saw him here a moment ago with you, and, like, who's that? (laughs) You know, uh, the, the fast cop who drives really fast cars, and he's really cool, and he's a cop. Like it's a basic thing of uh, is he back on is he back on the force? I thought he was out of town or something. And he was like or suspended huh. or something. Zardo's like, yeah, I'm taking you hostage. Yeah, he he piles her into the car. Uh, Pistone shoots at at Palma in the in the phone booth, and they drive off. Yeah, Palma Palma shoots Pistone in the shoulder. Yeah, and uh, they drive off. I don't think they even managed to actually get the girl. I don't know because we never see the girl again. She no longer exists. Yeah, they're like it seemed like they were gonna bundle her into the car, but I don't really know what happens with that because they don't deal with it. She, we don't see her again. Yeah, yeah, she she died or something. Or she broke up with him and wants a better life for herself. I don't know. I mean, we see Doesn't no matter. aftermath. This is not a movie nope. with any sort of aftermath or uh, <laughs> nope. lowering tension afterwards. It's just like there's an explosion and the movie's over. That's kind of how they do this. Yeah, so Palma has to be like, okay, guys, um, the job is fucked because of my because of my girlfriend who, you know, the the job's fucked. And Telia Ferry's like, he's still he's still gonna do the robbery though, even though they're quote unquote found out. Yeah, they're I mean the, the robbery's still it. going, so yeah. we're you're just gonna have to sit ready, and we'll do it the way we're. we're you know, it's fuck it, we'll do it live. You know, we, we can't yeah. do the undercover thing. We're just going to have to do it uh, on the level. We'll, we'll race them down like I always did, like I've been trying to teach you to do. We'll we'll just try to do it the real way. Yep. And the robbery happens, and Palma races out, and he gets to use all of his newly acquired driving skills, like turning and... Braking. And braking and well, not slaloming. Break. You know, using the accelerate uh, at, through turns, uh, you know, power slide. Uh, you know, he knows how to hit the triangle and the right shoulder button. You know, you jump the <laughs> cart and you do you get the orange smoke. Yeah, yeah. And you got to do that three times. And then you get the. Yeah, the, the you, turbo. You get, you get the NOS. <laughs> yeah. They're racing around a whole bunch. Uh, awesome sequences. S- just really fucking rad chase sequences all over the place yeah one of the citroens uh crashes into a civilian car and the guy gets out and he's trying to shoot palma palma fucking does this e-brake turn and flaps the guy with like sideswipes the guy with the back of his car so hard and the guy goes just goes launched across the screen it is an incredible stunt like i do not know how they did that 
It looks I like that guy got just, killed. <laughs> I think they just did it. Because, like, I've seen that done with CGI in more recent movies that doesn't look realistic at all. This guy just got fucking hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, amazing. They, it might have been a dummy, but either way. It's not a dummy. That guy is real. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he's he, like, he, he he's got it. He's standing on the ground. Yeah, no, it's it's oh, it's amazing. It's a great stunt. Mm. Uh, yeah, Nizardo is escaping on foot. Uh, Palma chases him through this junkyard and eventually gets the drop on him. And Nizardo lets like, him go. Nizardo says to him, he's like, come on, man, a traffic cop could have done what you just did. And Palma's like, yeah, you're right. Get out of here. Well, it's it's uh, it, it is completely the the end of Fast and the Furious, where Paul Walker and Vin Diesel is like, well, we'll just do this one last half mile. And if you beat me, I guess you get to go. Yeah. It's them doing that, and it's like, okay, you let him go. And he goes back to headquarters, he's like, so he got away? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I just, I don't know what happened. Tell <laughs> uh, like, okay, well, you know, there's always second chances where you'll definitely get him next time, right, Palma? Yeah, you're not going to let him go the next time you run into him. He's like, no, no, that was a one-time thing, promise. Yeah. But they don't have to wait long for their next chance to catch him because Bizardo takes his freaking sweet ass red car right up to the outside of the cop station and basically honks at him. Yeah, he's like, "Come on, let's race. Uh, we're we're <laughs> we're doing this." He's good to his word. He's yep. like, "You know, if you let me go, we'll we'll do this proper. I'm gonna go get the car and we're gonna do that last race." And they, you know, it, it's 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 the the jump of doom that yep. we've been waiting for. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're racing down um, the same course that they went the last time. but And they get up to the cliff, and uh, yeah, they both jump. <laughs> and I love it, because you know that they only shot this once and just had like eight or nine or ten different camera angles set up, because we see Use all of them. All of mm. them. It's so beautiful, because it's an incredible stunt. They go off a cliff. These cars yeah. are flying through the air. It looks totally amazing. And uh, yeah, Nisardo's car rolls and explodes, and you see his burning body in the wreckage, <laughs> like just burning corpse. And like Palma gets out of his vehicle, shaken, and he looks and he sees the burning body, and he turns towards the camera, and it just freeze frame, and it's over. <laughs> the end. Movie it's over. Like, Whoa! Oh. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Um... Notably, that is the only time a car explodes in this movie where cars are crashing all the time. Yeah, it, it definitely does not do it to excess. I just love the door slam of an ending of that. It's just like, well, kaboom, he fucking exploded. Now it's over. Yep. The bad guy died. <laughs> he ain't going to be in two Polizio two sprint. Yeah. Uh, uh, two Poliziato two sprint. Right. Uh, <laughs> One thing we didn't mention, uh, the the score by Stelvio Cipriani totally bangs. Just oh, really yeah. great kick-ass uh, 70s police movie score. I, I love the the Italian police scores in this area. I'm a big fan of Cipriani. Uh, he also did the music for Tentacoli, a movie about a giant killer octopus in, in Los Angeles. That's great. Oh, shit. Great, right easy score. Yeah, the movie that opens with an octopus stealing a baby and eating it from a baby carriage. <laughs> Real oh nutso. Good shit. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, this movie rules. It's a great time. Uh, definitely, uh, I don't know. Uh, this one or Colt 38 Special Squad are my favorites in the set so far. It's still just the one left. 
cool, cool. Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, I, I like Fast Five better because you know it's, but this this is great. Like, I, way better than I expected for its time. Yeah, Fast Five is a, obviously a very amplified modern action movie. Uh, yeah, th- this one just it's cool. It's got its gray areas. It's got its weird way in which the police and villains interact. There there is a gray area both in terms of the goodness of the villains and the badness of the police. They're both very gray. It's uh, it, it's a movie that is reacting to a, a really severe crime climate in the country, but it's still not totally convinced that one side or the other is right (laughs) (laughs) yeah crime is rising but it also involves gives us really cool car chases so who's to say if that's good or bad it's uh, such an interesting it's just like the you got the honor among thieves concept and the uh just i don't know yeah yeah i i love the crowded like cramped tight races that they go in well, that to me is the most impressive element is that all of these stunts are done on real streets and these are all real stunts. There's no yeah. computer generated imagery. This is just uh, crazy fucking car stunts that they're all doing for real. Mm-hmm. You, you see these cars roll over you and when the when a fucking tiny little Citroen is rolling down the entire Spanish steps, like that's just <laughs> a thing that's happening for real. And it's so cool. Yeah, it, it's awesome. And like so many cars get trashed at this. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good time. Mm, lots of fun it's definitely a recommend a word so any last thoughts on highway racer before we continue to our third and final section i'm a driver i want to drive all right and we're back for part three where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week all right, what do we got this time? So we've got 10 picks this week. First up is What's Up Connection. I sent you a brief clip of this one from like, I don't know, half an hour or so into the movie where they uh, put up a message. It's like, uh, for the remainder of the movie, uh, this one character will sometimes be played by a guy, sometimes by a lady. And it says, <laughs> thank you, and has a heart, and just continues on. Right. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That I'm dying to know the context, or if there even is a context. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It, it's this really crazy uh, Hong Kong-Japan collaboration movie. And it's it's this family who live in Hong Kong called the Chi's. Chi, mm-hmm. from my understanding, I, I can't get a very clear idea of it, but it means something in between crazy and idiot. Okay. Uh, I guess depending on how it's translated, because uh, in the trailer that's included, they seem to be referring to them as the idiot family. They, <laughs> the word idiot is, is said quite a bit, or it appears quite a bit in the subtitles for that. But uh, in unlike the back cover of the disc, they, refer to, they, they say it means something closer to crazy, so I don't know. But... Uh, it does seem like they're just this really weird family. They're all a bunch of counterfeiters. It's not unlike the family from Parasite. They're every single one of them is running some sort of scam, mm-hmm. and they live on this tiny little lake village somewhere on the verges of Hong Kong. Okay. And all of them win trips, but they all win trips to different places. So we, <laughs> so everybody's going on all of these trips all over Asia, and we mainly follow this one guy who goes to basically the slums of Osaka. All right. 
because he goes there he 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 shows up in osaka to start his japanese tour and he ends up with this tour guide who doesn't actually speak enough of the language to actually translate for him and it's her first day on the job and she ends up getting robbed and all of his stuff is stolen including his plane tickets and all his money oh, and no. he gets connected with all of these people in the slums you know he, he he's hanging on the slums so he finds uh the weird bandit lady who stole all his money and she connects him with a bunch of guys and he ends up getting into the begging community and he makes enough money to come home and the bandit lady just ends up coming with them. All right. <clears throat> and that's the person who is sometimes a guy and sometimes a lady. Just, you know, okay. it goes back and forth whenever. Sure. Uh, just, you know, shape-shifting. And it, it's it's dressed, but in sort of weird ways where, like, <laughs> there's a part later on where the dad of the family is having a conversation with the male version of the bandit guy and, like, starts to lean in for a kiss, but just is has like the weirdest expression on his face. Like, I think I'm supposed to kiss this person now. And they're weirded out about it. And then later on, he kisses the female one. It's like, oh yeah, now I remember. It's, it's <laughs> wild. Uh, and the, the whole thing, like he ends up connecting with some high important gangster. And all of them end up coming back to their tiny little village for whatever reason. And they're going to buy out the whole area and they're going to build like this gigantic super mall tower type thing it's, it's going to be like the burj khalifa but they're going to build it on where they live uh, and it's going to be the center of the whole universe and where you guys just need to sign away the house and it's this whole weird thing it's it's pretty crazy it's right at the specific point in time when hong kong was being given back from japan to china in terms mm. of the rule so it's kind of very specific to that moment of anxiety uh for japan and hong kong and kind of the all, all of the cultural stuff involved in that okay interesting it's great it's a really interesting movie cool uh next up is goodbye 20th century uh this was the macedonian picture uh which i i still think this maybe i've seen another macedonian picture like an old one maybe Oh, right. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last maybe week. last week or yeah. Yeah, last week. So it, it's a post-apocalyptic movie at first. It's set in the post-apocalyptic future of 2019. Mm -hmm. And there's this guy who's immortal. Uh, he he was looking at this painting in a church, in a ruined church, because, you know, it's this weird kind of post-apocalyptic but techno post-apocalyptic mad max mad max ask sort of deal and he got really turned on he he felt that the way the saint in the portrait was looking at him was a uh, real come hither kind of stare <laughs> sure so uh, you know long story short he has sex with the painting and he gets cursed and a whole bunch of children die and they're deciding like okay we're, we've got to kill you to put this right and they're they've got him like we learn this later on that that's the backstory to why he's he had sex with a painting and now everybody <laughs> feels like he's got to die so they can be right with god again anyway <laughs> they, they they they've dug a grave and they're they're doing this whole ceremony where they're going to you know shoot him with some uh ak-47s and shit and just uh he'll and they, they figure this is going to put them right and they have professional mourners and everything and they're doing the thing and they shoot him and he falls and 
you know, there's this huge blood spray all over one of the mourner ladies, and she's like, oh! But then the guy just gets back up, and they keep shooting him, and he just, he won't die. He's he's fucking immortal. Like, well, okay. man, the ground won't take me. <laughs> so he goes on some adventures, and then it sort of tails back to, for whatever reason, Christmas 1999, or I guess it's New Year's, specifically 1999. And there's, there's this guy who's been sort of following the the main guy around in the in the future uh he's santa in the past like he's santa claus sure and he goes into this house party that's like it's a new year's eve party but it's awake because the the man of the house has died but it's also like a christmas and new year's party like there's a christmas tree and there's you know everybody's there and there's uh refreshments and stuff this sounds insane and it just becomes this incredibly awkward wake where he just like everybody has all of these personal animosities and you don't know much of the background, but like he's a boarder there. Like he, he lives there, but the rest of them are a family who, whose house he lives in. And it's just incredibly awkward. And it turns out he's at a funeral and, you know, these people show up and try to make it a Coke party. And I don't know. It's, it's so weird. Like it's just, there's so many different things happening. The, the way the two parts fit together is really unclear <laughs> it seems like it's a y2k movie but yeah odds ah, it's fucking strange all right that sounds interesting like it is edgelordy to to a certain degree there there is a degree of edgelordiness to a lot of it <laughs> okay <laughs> uh next we've got hunted which is sort of a short film uh, this was the first of three films made by the Pemini, the Pemini organization. I think it's, it's like the 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 first two letters of the three guys' uh, first names: uh, Peter, Michael, and Nick. I think. Okay. So Pemini organization. There there is film studio. They only made three films, and the first one's a short. It's this guy. He he has an estranged wife. And he's at his breaking point, and he, he gets this real estate agent to show him this room. And it overlooks this busy thoroughfare, this market street. And he starts talking to her about the place, and he, she's really not clear. On, it's like an office space, not uh, an apartment space. And it, it slowly comes out that uh, he doesn't want to rent the space. He actually wants to shoot people from the window of this space, and he's holding her hostage while he does it. Okay. And he slowly starts to unravel why he's doing it. And, you know, it turns out his wife lives around the corner. And uh, it's this whole thing that he he's just uh, he, he his wife has remarried or something and he can't deal with it. Uh, okay. uh, it's dark. It's it's pretty heavy. And it's, it's just like it's a two character short. You know, just I these see. two people in a room, the whole movie. Oh, interesting. Well, all right. Cool. Hmm. Next, we've got The Offense. Uh, this is a Sidney Lumet cop picture. Uh, I think it's the next movie he did after Serpico. Okay. Uh, maybe. It's it's around the same time. It's like a year or two after. Uh, it, this one's Sean Connery as oh. this really tightly wound cop. He's been on the force for a really long time, and he has really bad PTSD that he's not dealing with. Okay. And he is on the case of a child murderer. Or maybe it's, I, I don't know, I think, 
I, I don't know if it's murder or molester. Uh, like, definitely molesting, but I don't know if also murdering. Anyway, the, the point is he rescues this girl, like, just after the, she's been attacked. And they catch this guy, or they, they pick up this guy who he suspects is the guy. And he has him in for an interrogation. And we don't really see much of the interrogation the first time. What we see a couple times, it's what opens the movie. It's what sort of closes the scene. It's just all of the sound drains out. We just see him getting in a fight with the guy and just beating him fucking bloody just all over the room. Just he, he starts to brutalize him and he can't stop himself. This is Sean Connery beating the shit out of the guy. Yeah, the 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 uh, suspect in like okay. an interrogation room. I, we haven't talked about Sean Connery on the show at all, have we? I don't think we have. I don't think uh, we have either. Hasn't hasn't come up a lot. I am thinking I'm going to watch all the Bonds again pretty soon, too. So uh, that's a thought. Dr. Noah's probably something I'm going to watch the next week. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, this is one of the Lumets I'd never seen before. It's it's fairly experimental in terms of the way it's portrayed. We have all these sequences where just the sound drops out and we kind of will pick up much later what happened. Uh, we, we only really get what the discussion was in the room near the end of the movie. But it's just obviously like he's unraveling that he has PTSD that he's not dealing with. And he goes into this discussion deciding that this guy is the guy and then he just can't really like it, it once he's fixated on it there there's really no changing his mind in any way okay yeah yeah it, it's it's very interesting dark very brutal uh next is raising cain this is another brian de palma film and i've been on a real de palma kick lately i've got a few more on deck too cool so de palma he's a huge hitchcock fan something i can relate to and he really heavily draws upon hitchcock he's using a lot of references to hitchcock in his work this is another one that's deep hitchcock lore uh this one especially draws on psycho there's a bit of rear window there's a bit of vertigo there's a fair amount of all of his psychological ones the ones that like deal with freudian psychology which was sort of a pet interest of hitchcock Mm -hmm. but this is amplified it's ridiculous (laughs) It's John Lithgow. Oh, I love him sometimes. John Lithgow with multiple personalities. Okay. All right. <laughs> which, which are each envisioned as a separate person. One of them as like a swaggering guy with the mirrored shades and a leather jacket who's like, yeah, I'm going to tell you what to do, brother. <laughs> he pretends to be his twin brother because he he also is his dad, his old Norwegian dad. Sure. It's it's like the nutty professor, but Brian De Palma is a Hitchcock homage. Uh, <laughs> he he has this wife, and uh, they're he. It, it was the perfect marriage. <laughs> uh oh. But it, it turns out he has this whole secret past that she doesn't know about, where he was part of uh, a medical experiment as a child, because his dad was this crazy eugenicist who was stealing babies and got arrested (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) uh, and he he comes to his 
it starts with his wife runs into her former lover and starts to feel like his relation her their relationship is a little weird because ever since they had the kid this guy decided to take multiple years of parental leave like his job he is a child psychologist okay yeah following in the footsteps of his dad kind of and uh he just becomes completely obsessed with the daughter just like spending all his time watching her and uh the the wife is feeling that it's becoming really weird and it is okay yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when she runs into her ex, she's like, oh, shit. And she's really into it. And when he finds out she's cheating, uh, the the uh, there's a tagline, something like when, yeah, when Jenny cheated on her husband, he didn't just leave. He split. <laughs> he, he just fragments into all these different personalities and just he, he starts going wild. He starts stealing babies. It's crazy. <laughs> It's it's really out of control. <laughs> I'm just imagining like over the top Lithgow, like Third Rock from the Sun era, like I'm stealing this baby. And it is 1992, like it's just before that. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's pretty crazy. Uh, next, we've got the final one in the Daylight Years, uh, the the Doris Wishman box set, The Prince and the Nature Girl. So we know the plot of these. <laughs> well, this one, I was or surprised. It... It, okay. it doesn't have any conflict over the nudism. Oh, so it's just, we know from the get-go that nudism is wonderful. Completely. It is just a movie that's selling nudism to Germany. Because this one is dubbed in German for some reason. It's all in German. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of clips from the previous ones. As I mentioned last week, this one's kind of a clip movie. Okay, yeah. Because Doris Wishman had moved to the apartment by this point. She did not have access to all these Florida nudist communities. Uh, it does have... Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll get a bit more into that in the last part. Uh, so this, this, this one, she had access to a public park with a playground, so there's just nude people hanging around in a playground a whole lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, all of the new footage is basically just a couple people she knows hanging out in a playground naked. It's more nude than any of the previous ones, because I guess, you know, they're selling it in Germany. They have a little bit less uh, restrictions, and it's, you know, later as well. Mommy, why won't you let me go to the playground? There's, there's people there. <laughs> No, absolutely not. <laughs> so the prince, he's not actually royalty. It's a guy named Mr. Prince. He's their oh, boss. Okay. <laughs> there's sure. these two yeah, there's these two twin sisters who both work for him, and they're both hot for him, and they're all nudists. Mm -hmm. uh, the boss is a nudist, and then they run into him at the nudist camp, and they're both just like trying to vie for his love. Uh oh, because, you know, he's He's rich, and you know it's a good way to trade up. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. It's uh, it's mostly just like a German narrator going, uh, you know, talking about how great nudism is most of the time. And just there, there's like a portion. I, I sent you like a good thirty seconds of it, but it goes on for like at least a solid five minutes where it's just nature ducks. footage, ducks, <laughs> That's right. lots of ducks, flowers, uh, bushes, clouds, uh, no people. Sad like, cloud this, painting. Yeah. It's it's like the the origin of it, you know. They're her prepping for her <laughs> new apartment-bound filmmaking career. I th I think it's crazy that those came after these ones because these are all in color and those are all black and white. 
Yeah, it's I part of it's just the style of the the filmmaking where the part of the 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 thrill of the nudist call nudist camp movie is that it was in full color. So it's okay. sort of you 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 do it in full color because that's what the uh, it's part of the selling feature. Oh, uh, okay. Whereas with, you know, the the regular exploitation uh roughy you don't really need to do that that's kind of not the point anymore there you just get more explicit you get more dirty uh, i see okay that makes sense i get you next up i did the other ray dennis steckler nazi porno Ooh, the, <laughs> the love, love life. life of hitler's nazis <laughs> oh once again jane bond appears I, it's Carolyn Brent doesn't actually, I don't think she physically appears in this one. I think she just does voiceover as Jane <laughs> Bond. Okay. The The most striking thing that I got to say is I hadn't realized it the when I watched the other two, but Dennis, or Dennis, Daniel from The Trooper is in all of these. <laughs> doing sex scenes. He was oh, the guy who no. couldn't keep it up and was like, the the ladies yelling stop bending he was the guy in the the helmet with the arm bend <laughs> masturbating on the toilet the whole movie it's him he returns as the character in this <laughs> the, the weird thing is this one does feel more straightforwardly pornographic it doesn't have as many weird cutaways there's more just actual sex like it's longer there's more just sort of straightforward actual sex scenes in it okay still weird still just like a lot of rolling around like there is still just a a fat nazi with a micro penis that they roll around (laughs) on the bed with for a while for just forever Uh, I mean, there, there's less to it than the, the first one. Uh, I think I told you uh, a bunch of the things as I was watching it because it was just, you know, it's still mm-hmm. strange. But yeah, it's it it, it isn't quite as uh, fascinating an object as the first one, but you know, it's still pretty fascinating. <laughs> like it's still just Ray Dennis Eckler doing a Nazi Nazi porno. It's so strange. Is this the one that also features the Star Spangled Pants? Yeah, the the pants from the trooper uh, so shockingly do make an appearance in it as well. I was so it's like, oh my god, it's the pants! It's the pants from the trooper. When you said the pants from the trooper, at first I thought you meant the disgusting Daniel pants that have never been washed. I, I like, mean, yeah, that tracks. I mean, probably, yeah, uh, gross. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I mean, uh, Daniel, we we see Daniel's dick get tortured. Uh, that that's how they get the. That's how the not the anti-Nazi spy gets the information. Uh, they have sex with Daniel, and then they grab his dick and just squeeze really hard. Oh. And he goes, ah. <laughs> she gets the information from him, just like keeps doing it. It goes on for some time. The trooper will get me. The trooper will get you. It's no, the trooper got me. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Next up is Programmed to Kill. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like Robocop. It's, it, it, like, it is a Robocop knockoff. Uh, <laughs> She's programmed to kill. He's got every reason to stop her. Neither of them have any choice. <laughs> it, so, 
it's weird because instead of the whole RoboCop concept, you get like a cop who is injured in the line of duty. who's was like this noble hero guy and you rebuild him. This lady. <laughs> so it starts out. There's a terrorist attack. There's this terrorist attack on a crowded public market. People getting gunned down, just mass carnage. And they kidnap two American children and take off. And one of them is this white lady. One white lady amongst a bunch of uh, Middle Eastern terrorists. Right. And Robert Ginty is called in. A uh, real jowly guy. You'd probably know him from some of the uh, Red Letter Media films. He's appeared in a couple of them. He talks like this. He's really jowly. I, I'm sure what, if I see him, I'll recognize him. Uh, White Fire, I think, was the, a really major one that they did with him. Anyway, uh, he's called in. He, he, you know, he, he storms in. He shoots the lady. And then, you know, as he's rescuing the kids, he realizes she's a pretty white lady. So instead of leaving her, he, like, throws her over his shoulder and takes her with. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah, the, the evil science guys end up uh, refurbishing her into a sort of robocop type assassin like they're gonna they you know they rebuild her as a robotically controlled version of herself and they send her to go take out her terrorist cell okay so she does that and then she has like a break and realizes uh what she did i guess sort of but she's still like a robocop but she just it's blowback she comes back and tries to take out the whole agency and they have to battle her Okay. <laughs> I, I sent you that one amazing clip where he Ginty is talking with the fat plutocrat in the back of a limo, and he's like, <laughs> oh, don't worry about me. I have a way of surviving. Uh, oh, hold on. There's a call coming through on the other line. <laughs> he presses the button, and she makes a modem sound, and his ears bleed, and the car rolls over and explodes. <laughs> yep, I remember that. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, pretty fun. It's just it's it's very heightened, very ludicrous, silly bullshit. A lot of stuff like that. Cool. Next, we've got Dementia Thirteen. Uh, this is the first film by Francis Ford Coppola. The first oh. feature. Oh, so you know, Fran sixty-three. Yeah. So Coppola, director of The Godfather, later on, this is him doing a gothic horror, like a psychological gothic horror. It's an axe murder movie. It's produced by Roger Corman. Okay. Because Corman gave a lot of these major guys their starts. Uh, yeah. Day. So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's very beautifully shot. It's this great gothic imagery. Uh, this sort of weird family relationship where this the, the daughter drowned years ago and the mother's never gotten over it and just kind of can't progress with her life. And they... You know, every year on the anniversary, they go to the grave and put a flower and then mother collapses and they go through this whole <laughs> ordeal. And uh, the the husband has now remarried and the wife is just less willing to put up with it. And she's also really suspicious of it. And she's trying to look into things behind it. And things are not as they seem. OK. Yeah. Cool. And last up is the werewolf of Washington. <laughs> this is a really <laughs> fun it's it's a satire. It's like a 70s Watergate era satire, but also a tribute to like classic Universal werewolf movie. Okay. The Wolfman. Right. Yeah. So it's really old school at the beginning. It's in black and white when he's. So the 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 background is he's a reporter, 
and this is the era you know it's it's a it's not nixon but it's a nixon analog guy you know because it's a fake president it's not a non real person but uh he's he's a reporter who's having an affair with the president's daughter and he doesn't want to be anymore so he takes an assignment to hungary to just get out of town because living in washington and dating the president's daughter it's just driving him crazy he's too nervous for it yeah i mean that's that's maybe someone you shouldn't have an affair with i'm just throwing this out there (laughs) it's dangerous well the the president finds out that he's there and for some reason he gets wind he he gets this fake rumor back to him that he was exiled to uh the soviet bloc to do this stuff because he was the only reporter who was loyal to the administration which is totally untrue He, he, he has no interest in supporting the guy it just uh this rumor has gone around so he decides to call him back and make him his head speechwriter okay but unfortunately while he was in hungary he was bitten by a werewolf so now he's a werewolf oh well <laughs> that's going to make things a little bit complicated and he, he like comes back to town and suddenly it's a color movie when he comes back to washington like it's in black <laughs> and white and very gothic you know classic universal style up until that point it's pretty okay. funny <laughs> right on. And he's back in Washington, and yeah, it, the full moon comes. He starts seeing pentagrams on the hand of the people he's going to kill later when he transforms into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And he keeps telling people, like, I'm the werewolf. I'm the person who's doing this. And they're like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. <laughs> There's no such thing as werewolves. You're being an idiot. And <laughs> no one is willing to believe him. No one is willing to do anything about it. All right. It's fun. It was pretty good. Cool. So those are our 10 picks. What do you figure for our second feature next week? Um, well, I love watching movies from new places that I haven't seen movies from before. And Goodbye 20th Century sounds bonkers. It <laughs> is bonkers. I could not tell you what happened. <laughs> it could be my jam. Um, let's give it a shot. All righty, so goodbye 20th century. That's uh, one of the brand new ones from Vinegar Syndrome last month. Cool, cool. Uh, So we have quite a few new additions to the stacks as well this week. Oh, wow, so do we ever. Uh, So first up is Mind, Body, and Soul. This is a Rick Sloan film. Let me think, have you seen any Rick Sloan films? Have you seen Hobgoblins? No, I don't think so, but I've heard of it. It's like a really cheap Gremlins knockoff where these two guys are guarding a movie studio and uh, the hobgoblins who live there and give people like they they trick people into like their dream scenarios. And then I don't know, they they attack them, I guess. I, I can't really remember how it works out. They, <laughs> uh, they they they're like the Animaniacs. They're trapped in a film vault, but they keep getting out and leaking out into the local <laughs> scenery and they're. They're just like the shittiest looking puppets. Anyway, it's by that guy. And okay. a Rick Sloan film has a certain flavor to it. I've seen most of his pictures and they're they're the the dumbest of the late night Cinemax breed. Okay. Uh, usually comedically dumb, like they're actively stupid. Kind of all of the characters live in dumb world. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I don't know about this one particularly. I haven't seen this one. This one has Wings Hauser. Oh, yes. Uh, it's uh, this lady 
who uh, her boyfriend is in a satanic cult and the cult comes after her uh and you know when she gets out there's this cop who is uh just trying to uh save her from the you know continuing attacks of the cult members and there's uh wingshauser is this lawyer who's uh also you know trying to uh help her through this or whatever you know potentially has uh sinister purposes who who is like related to the cult or is has a particular interest in the satanic cults okay uh yeah you know it sounds pretty ridiculous it's early 90s so it's late on the satanic panic all right next we've got for the plasma uh this is i i don't even know how to describe this it's it's like a mumblecore movie okay so is this lady who works as a uh, like a fire spotter for the forestry department, but like watching through CCTV cameras mostly. It's so just like staring at trees through the CCTV all day. Okay. And for whatever reason, uh, this gives her some sort of new perception ability that I think she is able to predict financial market shifts. something sure uh and then you know a friend comes to visit and it just like kind of throws her life out of whack (laughs) lo-fi really weird kind of just people hanging out cinema but you know very indie weirdness kind of stuff okay Uh, next we've got assassin which is the second of the three pemini films in this one, there is an assassin. Uh, the The British government uh, hires an assassin to take out someone in their own air ministry for some reason or another. And it's just the... I, I think we follow the assassin kind of slowly unraveling the conspiracy he's involved in. Okay, cool. Like that. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Next, Revenge of the Virgins. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's a nudie cutie western. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's it's written by Edward D. Wood Jr. Th- that Ed Wood? That Ed Wood, the 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 oh. classic Ed Wood. It's one of the movies he wrote but didn't direct. Okay. So it's uh yeah the, there's it's a tribe of naked ladies. <laughs> they, they're gonna get their revenge on the settlers. I mean, oh, oh dear. You know, it's it's like an hour long. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be very silly. <laughs> Uh, in a similar vein, perhaps next is Come With Me, My Love, the first of the Doris Wishman hardcore pictures. Oh, so she did get into hardcore. She did start shooting hardcore later on. So the plot, and it's so Wishman-y. <laughs> it's, it's the perfect, like, what I, I laughed out loud when I read the plot description, or when I, when I was reading up on this movie, because the basic thing is there, there's this uh, person who kills their lover and kills themselves, and then they're a ghost trapped in an apartment. <laughs> and, you know, the people who move into the apartment, you know, the, the ghost haunts them. And uh, I, I think the ghost is maybe raping people. I'm not totally sure. Uh, yeah. Ghost trapped in an apartment uh, is the premise for Doris Wishman's porno. Uh, that's That's lyrical to me, quite honestly. <laughs> I, I 
don't know why, but as soon as you said apartment, <laughs> right? You know, that that was for me too. When I looked at it, it like a ghost haunting an apartment is the plot of the Doris Wishman part. I'm like, of course it is. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be okay. Oh my god. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, next is we're, we're we're continuing down the line. Ray Dennis Steckler's Count Alcum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this one, you know, it's the next of his pornos. It's another vampire-based one. Okay. He likes his themes, I guess. You know, he's got his vampire pornos. He's got to, he's got his Nazi pornos. <laughs> yep. This one, it's a, it's a vampire in Las Vegas. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, he, he can just go out in the sun. That's not a problem. He just does whatever he wants. Uh, and he's just going out to get laid. <laughs> he's got a book saying that's called 1001 Ways to Seduce Women. It's sort of a comedy. Apparently, there is a cut that is just a softcore cut that's a, just a straight comedy movie. <laughs> this is, I think, the X-rated cut. <laughs> it's 45 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and the comedy is actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah something like that <laughs> it's gonna feel like it's three hours though oh yeah you know you you, you take out the sex scenes and somehow it just you, it's it's like you remove too much of the rodeo <laughs> sex scenes are rodeo adjacent and the last edition is wheels of fire which uh have you ever seen the road warrior uh, I don't know if I have. Oh my goodness! Well, you know the basic Mad Max premise, and the the Road Warrior oh, yeah. being there. There are Road Warriors in the Mad Max universe, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I've seen that one. That's the first one, right? Second one. Okay, no, then I haven't seen it. it it's the one where you got the humongous. Then I have seen it. Yeah, that one rules. It's it's probably the most seen one. Uh, the first one's Mad Max, second one's Road Warrior, third is Beyond Thunderdome. Okay, right, yeah. No, that's the one I've seen. I've seen The Humongous. Yeah, it rules. So this is a Filipino mockbuster of that. Same Okay. <laughs> it is uh, that movie, but made in the Philippines uh, on a much lower budget. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so for our main feature next week, what are you feeling? Oh, goodness. Um, well, you know what? I've been... I've been meaning to get to this for quite a while, but we've got one more thing in the yokai box set, don't we? The Great Yokai War, which is the one directed by Takashi Miike. Yeah, it is a, like a remake or a retelling of the second one, I believe. Yeah, it's it's another, uh, you know, all out, you know, every yokai attacks. But this one, I think it's set in the present day. And, oh, shit. you know, it's just a great big, huge CG craziness, lots of wild stuff because you know it's it's Mike. he does yeah. things maximally <laughs> oh man i you know i uh, i didn't i just now started thinking about terraformars and how ridiculous <laughs> that was <laughs> it's a bonkers ass movie that's i guess that's the only Mike we've covered before on the podcast it, i think it is like we've seen uh, a sure bunch of is. his yeah we saw like the whole dead or alive trilogy which was Oh, those rule. Weird. The first one is absolutely incredible, and the other two are special and insane. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I want to see his take on the, uh, the, like his like 2014 or whatever take on the 
1960s yokai muppets yeah the great yokai war from 2005 oh 20 2005 not 2014 uh, this one has, uh, you know, it's it's a chosen child thing. You know, you got a kaiju boy, essentially. Sure. It's a yokai instead, of course. Yeah. You got your yokai boy, and he just kind of stumbles into the middle of the Great Yokai War. <laughs> and, you know, he, he, he meets the good guys and decides to help them. Uh, on the poster, he's got a great big old sword to fight them with. Oh, hell yeah. He's going to free the world of the yokai from oppression. <laughs> okay all right interesting i love it i love it bring it on so next week we'll be covering the great yokai war and goodbye 20th century interesting oh, this is gonna be wild <laughs> goodbye 20th century uh yeah we'll we'll try to make some sense out of it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, do you have any last thoughts before we close up for this week? Yeah, I want to get down in the mud and race cars, and nobody wants to do either of these things with me. Uh, I, 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 I would have to counter that, you know, the, the coolest thing about Rear Window, and maybe this is one of the, the great takeaways from it, is that the coolest thing, the, what makes Grace Kelly the absolute coolest is that she does all that shit in the evening dress. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that it is the, the absurd evening dress makes it so much cooler that, like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Hitchcock's on her side, as he should yep. be. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks so much, and have a great night.